well, uh, 1975, not very much happened. For not, us, no. Little to nothing, Gabe. We weren't born yet. Little to nothing. We weren't even a twinkle in our father's eyes. Uh, however, um, this I don't know if you heard of this. That we had like a little conflict in Southeast Asia. Uh, it lasted about 20 years, officially, uh, the Vietnam War. And uh, we finally decided that it was time to abandon our friends in uh, South Vietnam and fly the helicopters off of the embassy uh, and just leave leave all of our allies behind to be um, – you know, re-educated in air quotes in camps. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the Vietnam War ended. <laughs> so what a huge, colossal waste of time that was, huh? And, yeah, time, uh, lives, money. Sure. Anguish. Yeah. I mean, the only good thing to come out of it was Full Metal Jacket, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which I liked as a film. But, um, yeah, so uh, what was it? Uh, then I just remember these scenes of um, helicopters in, in movies being being pushed off of aircraft carriers after they oh, had yeah. flown from the embassy in Vietnam to uh, to the sea. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, just food food for uh, – maybe, maybe they, they built new coral reefs out of those abandoned Hueys. <laughs> that does happen. Sure, and I'm sure there were a bunch of bummed out sharks just waiting underneath the aircraft carriers. Like, is what a there any? Segue. Yeah, is there any chum in this? Oh no, it's just uh, billions of dollars of uh, military hardware that we're just throwing away in a wasted war effort. Uh, hey, everybody, uh, it's Gabe Pacheco on mic number one for another edition of Eat, Pray, Judge. And on mic two, as always, we have Sammy Hamarne. Yeah, and we've got <laughs> a in studio, uh, and by in studio, I mean my apartment in Greenpoint. We we have a guest here today on mic three, uh, Mr. Jordan Ryder, uh, who is uh, an actor and aspiring writer. That's it. That's several, me. Several books in the works. Yep. Jordan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're really excited to uh, really do a deep dive into. Um, world history for the year 1975 because today we're going to be discussing the film jaws which came out in 75 it's a little movie you know it could have been titled three men on a boat uh <laughs> but uh i i love i love this movie and and uh I'm, I'm really glad we're going to talk about it but before we do let's set the scene and talk a little bit more about the world in 1975 hmm. Anything uh, pop up that was interesting for you in your research, Sammy? Just a couple of things, Gabe. Um, <laughs> as we alluded to earlier, uh, Gerald Ford was president. We're getting out of, uh, I wanted to say Iraq, but we're still there, Vietnam. <laughs> um, on, a, on a lighter note, um, the price of gas was um, what $4.19 was for an oil change. Sorry, not gas. Uh, minimum wage, $2.10 an hour. The world population was sitting at right around four billion, wow. um, and uh, and like you said, a, a small small film came out to change cinema in general, change summers, change the beach, our dad's changed <laughs> showers for some people. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'd say? Uh, probably our fathers were probably all listening to ZZ Top. <laughs> In 1975, very sure. popular group, 1975, <laughs> beards were in. Beards were in. Beards are back, but they were really in back then. These yeah. ZZ Top dudes. Microsoft was founded by Paul Allen and Bill Gates. Oh, wow. Hello Kitty introduced. Sure, Godfather 2, people loved it. Uh-huh. It was the top movie of the year, that one. Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks, he's out there. It's Frankenstein. <laughs> 
yep, yep, yep. Bringing the black and white films back. Yeah. So- Soldier of Fortune magazine first published. Now, this is interesting. <laughs> You're bringing up Soldier of Fortune magazine. Good. And uh, this, uh, this actually show it was, um, I think, a cultural change where we started commodifying the idea of the rugged individualist and survivalism as a, as a concept. People were starting to get really uh, gloomy and apocalyptic. And they wanted to separate from society, and Soldier of Fortune magazine uh, is is a, is an artifact to, that kind of like shows this. That you know, people were worried about the, the bomb, and they're like, okay, we're going to build bunkers, we're going to keep our, we're going to uh, stockpile guns, we're going to learn how to how to how to be mercenaries. And this was that time. Yeah, this was that time. So this was just not just military porn, like I first thought. Right. Well, on the left, you'd see this as, uh, or like the hippie movement would be like uh, tune out, right? Uh, drop out, you know, turn right. off, right? But on the right, this is also like the 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 beginning of militias. Mm. So you you see the same kind of thing happening, and ah. I think Soldier of Fortune magazine uh, typifies that. Right. It was it was the rag for these militia right. boys. Right. Yeah. So uh, so uh, society's unraveling. In 1975, uh, you have uh, what is it? Gerald Ford. Yep. He finally had to bail out bankrupt New York after telling uh, New York City to drop dead. Right. <laughs> uh, the the cities are hollowing out and becoming uh, wastelands. You know, the, this is when the Bronx was uh, burning, was, was burning and crumbling. Uh, so, so I definitely didn't do enough of my 1975 research. <laughs> I mean, uh, being born in '79. You know, yeah. I have these, you know, one of the things that came up while I was watching was just thinking about the fact that even though I remember my young childhood in the 80s, it feels 70s because the 70s is still happening in the beginning of the 80s. The style, you know, your parents might have designed stuff from the 70s. It feels right. when you look at stuff that was shot in the 70s, it can feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was my childhood. Yeah, you're right. Well, I think about this, like, if you're going to make a period piece, let's say about 1980, mm. you don't actually buy things for the set that would be having been made in 1980. Right. Because the only people from that era who would have things from that year would be the rich. Right. So, like, um, a movie that takes place in 1980, the furniture should be in the setting should yeah. be 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, the car should be from the late 70s or right. early 70s. Thick-ass carpeting. Yeah, that shag carpeting, mm, mm. that lighting, muted, uh, muted uh, earth tones, because the environmental yes. movement was also really big at that moment. The idea of, uh, you know, the, sort, sort of th- this was the beginning of environmentalism. A lot of pea green tiles, yes. in people's kitchens. So My all, grandma had that. Yep. Yeah, the artists from that era were um, thinking about the earth and making things look natural. Right. And so you get these muted colors and tones in a lot of ways stylistically the 70s never fully went away like the 60s movement and like i'm talking like from fashion design that sort of went away the 70s permeated for a much longer period of time i feel like well into the 80s and as far as like retro fashion is concerned it made a bigger impact i think than almost any other decade on fashion itself and you know what was a direct reaction probably to that those muted colors was the uh, bold neon and dayglow colors of the 80s oh yeah where the uh the, the kids were like nah forget all these muted earth tones yeah pastel it's just uh, cocaine versus mushrooms <laughs> <laughs> 
That is a good way of looking at it. Right. Uh, and uh, you know, you know what did go away in the seventies? Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> oh, Nineteen seventy-five. Our boy got dropped into a vat of invisible ink. <laughs> <laughs> Him and uh, just Lane Maxwell. <laughs> that 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 just flew right over my head. She is, and I'm not she ashamed. She's the uh, she's the Epstein friend, right? Yeah, uh, the fixer. Yeah, she's uh, she's our version of Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so conveniently disappearing, and I'm only thinking about Jimmy Hoffa. Not because you know that he's like a boomer reference, but I'm thinking about him because we all just saw the uh, Irishman. Yeah, which uh, has brought him back into the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could do an hour on that one. Uh, I don't need to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you can come. You can come back and do an abridged. That's <laughs> an hour on the Irishman is like the Reader's Digest version of. Yeah, except yeah, yeah. I don't really feel like there was any stone left unturned in that four-hour epic. Uh, Cocoon meets um, Goodfellas. See, I feel film. like every stone, every stone was left. I felt it was hard, really bad. Yeah, that's how. Yes, really bad. Funny. Uh, that's how I felt about the Ken Burns Vietnam War documentary. Is it was like uh, twelve hours that signified nothing. See, yeah, and if it doesn't move you, like I didn't think Sheeran cared about anything. It felt like he was just doing what was like he was supposed to do. I didn't feel like he had an opinion about what he was no. doing. He was just waltzing through, and it felt like it was the boys getting back together for one last shout at what they <laughs> love to do. Yeah, making fun of like old guys doing this half the time, right. and I was like, great, good for you. Don't care at all about anybody in this. His only defense is for somebody getting knocked off is like, oh, he's a good guy. Y- yeah. Like, that's it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, but come on, man. He's good. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Even at the end. And when he's trying to reconcile how he feels about his daughter, I'm like, yeah, this guy doesn't really let us care about anything that moves him. That's how I felt. Anyway. No, no. That's great. Because it's a perfect segue into what I consider probably the greatest decade for films. I, would I agree. Consider. I, I, it's my it's favorite. I don't want. I, yeah, I don't want to say that you know, but I love. It's an opinion. An opinion. It's totally opinion. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I love like... the seventies decade of film. Right. This was the era known as New Hollywood. Right. right. All the uh, the the boomers created sort of like this the the myth of the auteur right. and uh, a lot of uh, young directors. You know, really, Hollywood had no idea. The studio system had no idea right. how to make money anymore and how to talk to the young people. And so they gave a lot of directors a carte blanche to go out and make experimental films. And you see that from uh, every Martin Scorsese comes out of that. Spielberg comes out of that. Totally. George yep. Lucas. Uh, Coppola, you know, De Palma, all of them. William Friedkin. Yeah. Who's one of my faves. And, uh, and yeah. And, and uh, actually this film, Jaws, kind of, even though it's 1975 – and I'd say like New Hollywood, that whole era ended in around the at the beginning of the eighties. This is uh, this is peak New Hollywood, and also um, s- signifying the demise of the uh, the auteur. Look at us working our way back to Jaws. <laughs> Love Jaws. <laughs> Do you know the Muffin Man? Because <laughs> down the lane, Gabe. The Muffin Man is Jaws, and you know what? This movie would be so different if that was the score whenever that shark appeared on screen. <laughs> A 
imagine if, if instead of dun it, dun it, dun it, you just heard, do you know the Muffin Man? Honestly, just <laughs> it might be scary. Uh, yeah. It, I mean. Like a chopped and screwed version of that yeah. would make this a much more of a horror film. Oh, man. Yeah, because they do that now. That's the sort of oh, yeah. cliche thing when you watch trailers for horror movies yeah. is they just have a child uh, song, I mean, and then they just twist it a little bit. How many times does, like, there's a slow move into a room <laughs> and then someone cracks open a music box, <laughs> and that's the theme song for, like, the freakiest stuff you're supposed right. to feel? Right. Doll An- comes to life. Yeah. Annabelle. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that our heads went to the exact same <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. That's yeah. how... So uh, if I remade Jaws, there would be a chopped and screwed version of the Muffin Man playing Mm -hmm. uh, before anyone got eaten by the sharks. I'm glad we're recording this. So (laughs) instead of a shark, there'd be uh, plant-based proteins. (laughs) All right. That's the the boogeyman. I hear you. A a sentient (laughs) impossible burger. Right. All right. Uh, Well, so here we go. We're going to talk about Jaws, and I I, – I thought about why why this film right why are we why are we talking about this great what's question. your relationship to this movie it's my favorite Sammy and I were talking and we were talking about my favorite films and it's my favorite Spielberg yeah. okay and I don't always think about films in terms of my favorite of a particular thing mm. but we were talking about it I think with another group and I was thinking about it and I actually just recently watched ET and it is still phenomenal. And for some of the same reasons, I love Jaws. But Jaws is like every scene is great. And that's 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 kind of how I think about a lot of my favorite films is just ones where every time it moves into a new scene, I'm thinking, oh, this scene's great. Oh, this scene. I love this scene. And right. that happens basically straight through for me with Jaws. Great. Uh, at the time, I think when we were discussing it, this is one of my favorite movies of all time uh, because it's – Good all the way through. I mean, it's like a, it's almost like a perfect. I don't like to use the term perfect, but it's close. No, they yeah. As far as a film and a story is concerned, exactly. Um, my parents saw this on their first date oh. when, when they were uh, young bucks. Wow. Um, and then me, and my brother, and my dad all got chicken pox at the same time. And around when we were like, I was like eight, my brother was four, <laughs> my dad was some you know thirties. Uh, so we all just sat and watched this on the Sunday matinee on Fox 5, oh, DC Boys. Sick. I just imagine you all in, like, one-piece flannel, yeah. Snoopy pajamas with those uh, <laughs> butt flaps. I'd like you to stop picturing my father that way. Um, just all snuggled up underneath uh, your grandma's afghan. No, we were all probably – it was, like, uh, it, almost afghan. like uh, lungs, like the iron lungs, each of us just quarantined <laughs> with, like, the TV on in the background <laughs> watching this movie. Uh, it it sparked sort of my love affair with sharks because I was genuinely afraid of them. I think everybody on Earth that saw this movie was genuinely afraid. Well, I, from well, here on out, yeah, because it's being eaten alive. There wasn't a film that used the shark as the bad guy like this before, right? Right, because I think you you'd be like, wait a minute, like if I was a studio executive chomping on my cigar, I'd be like, what are you talking about? You could just you know stay on land, right? Why would I? What, what is shark. this, a movie about a big fucking goldfish with teeth? Get right. the fuck out of here. Right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and one of the things that I, going back and watching it again, I've watched it probably half a dozen times start to finish in my life. And then another, I don't know, dozens of times parts of it just sure. because it's on all the time. Sometimes I get like a Nas song and I watch it uh, back to front. <laughs> I start with the explosion. Just on <laughs> repeat? You just keep repeating the Nas song. Yeah. So uh, in reverse. 
<laughs> yeah, obviously it would have to be. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, continue. Sorry, no, and, no, no, and uh, <laughs> and um, I lost my train. There was something about <laughs> something about something I know. Well, you've seen every it a dozen time. times. I think I've seen it a dozen times. Right, at least at least a dozen, if not two dozen. This was, sure. you know, and the thing you guys brought up. Uh, every scene leads to the next scene so well. It fl- it's like a shark itself. It just keeps moving. It can't stop. It won't stop. Right. And it, like Puffy. And, and uh, exactly like Puffy. And you know what? I'll take, t- that, take that. Take that. Take that. <laughs> uh, I'd love to see a remake of this where there is a, a group of hip hop artists who are shooting music videos at sea, like Puffy and Biggie were doing, and uh, and then a shark attack. Jaws five. Yep. Hey, come to us. It's not gonna not happen. <laughs> and they actually kind of did that. It was called Deep Blue Sea with LA. yeah. Uh, there have been multiple. Yeah, we might be late to this one. Yes. <laughs> Scratch that idea. Back to back to the drawing board. But uh, I love. Uh, so yeah, you. This movie is anti shark propaganda. I actually, you know, and and I think. Uh, Peter ben- Benchley, the guy who wrote the book Jaws, yeah. Yeah. he regrets the way that he represented sharks because he feels like he created this um, this fear and prejudice in people that's led to their almost extinction. I mean, all, all sea life is almost extinct thanks they were, to yeah. Japanese and Chinese trawling uh, fishing boats. Out no, there. it and was too. It's a PR, PR nightmare yeah, for, for sharks. Sure. I mean, uh, it was because, and and that's you reminded me of what I was, you know, thinking about mm-hmm. before, which is like. One of the things that that I didn't remember about the film that I appreciate now and that made me think of why there hadn't been so much done about sharks yet or that there hadn't just the fact that there hadn't been. There's those scenes early on where Scheider is looking through books and the camera is showing you his research, almost like it's trying to teach all of us, the audience, like this stuff is fucking serious. It's harsh. It's wild. It's humans have no chance. And like you haven't thought about it yet. I'm going to show you the scariest predator that you've ever thought that you've ever you right. know right seen. And, and using those books makes it seem 100 percent factual science. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They actually used a picture in one of the books of this guy's leg. Yes. Yeah. So that's actually Rodney Fox, who is a Australian. Uh, <laughs> Abalone spear fisherman, like competitive spear fisherman, who was attacked by a great white shark in Australia and then spent the rest of his life. And he was the cinematographer for all the actual live shark footage in this film. Really? Yeah. So now he hosts like tours and stuff. So to sort of jump on Gabe's point, Benchley felt bad for the bad PR because this right. is basically like what 9 11 did for the Arab population <laughs> yes. PR wise. This is basically what it was. But what Jaws did for sharks, right? This is the TV show Homeland. Right. <laughs> um, In terms of bad PR, I think but um, for sharks, nautical Homeland. <laughs> yeah. But I think what, um, yeah, what this film did, as far as I, it's so tough to classify or categorize this movie as a horror film because it's definitely not. What it did no. was instill a very tangible fear into people because this is possible. Yeah, it you know? created a new phobia. Yeah, and people uh, were scared to sit on the toilet. I read some article where a guy was like, "People were actually genuinely afraid of any type of water." Period. Yeah, like that's insane to me. I mean, it's it's not insane, but it's crazy. Sure, uh, sure. There was a, a record dip in bathing after. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet there was, man. Yeah. Uh, people were afraid to go into uh, showers, jacuzzis, and it was the seventies. Yeah, so you know the bathing was already kind of like. Right <laughs> off the '60s, people had decided bathing wasn't as important. Yeah, for even even recreationally. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, it, I was just thinking about terrible things that happen to sharks all the time. Like 
you know, I've never, I, I'm allergic to fish, so I've never had shark fin soup. But right. I think about even the name shark fin soup as such a wasteful food because you're like, okay, we're going to pull up this giant animal and then just cut the. Fin yeah, off that, the is that it? Is that all yeah, shark that's, fin? That's, that's what it the is. whole they thing. Kill it what do they, they do with the rest of the shark? They throw it they throw right it back, back in the water. <laughs> what happens to the shark? You've never seen the video? It gets devoured by every other species in the ocean. I've never had shark fin soup because I'm allergic to being a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. feel like that's. Yeah. yeah, it's a good it's, it's, baseline for you know staying above piece of shit status. It's it's probably the wait yeah. without a fin they're done for. They, they can't, can't swim, dude. They they're can't dead. Swim. They bleed out, and they're effectively eaten by the rest of the sharks that are in that little area. Sharks eat other sharks. Oh yeah, yeah. they're cannibals. It's okay. like what if I just chopped your arm off and threw you in the water? You're now you're just chum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and can't, I mean, I think I could do it for like with one arm for a while. I, mean, I you, feel you, like yeah, if you, you chop both arms, I'd be fucked. Look, if I chop off one arm and I send you and then I say backstroke, you're just going to swim in a circle. Yeah, but I could – you know, I'm thinking. I know. You got me with the physics, but I, I still feel like – I still feel like I'd have a shot with both my legs and one arm. I just – you know, that's my ego. I mean, yeah. let's just – I think it depends on where you are. Sure. Right. Uh, ultimately, or how much you're bleeding. Or, yeah. You're, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes, Jordan. I don't know if I'm buying into that science. Uh, you know, I'm saying coming off the USS Indianapolis. Well, we'll get to that for yeah, sure. But you know what? The Chinese market right now is so big for, for films that I would remake this movie and have it be Jaws attacking a boatload of Chinese fishermen who are shark fin soup uh that would really Hunters. be Jaws the Revenge. It would be Jaws. Yeah. Yep. A lot of layers. So another knock on PR here. Like, think about the PR that Shamu got. Everyone loves a killer whale. Killer whale is actually the apex predator in the ocean. They eat, they're they smart. eat great white sharks because they're yeah. mammals. Right. Like, look at the PR they got. Remember that picture of Shamu next to, like, the 800 hamburgers that I know you guys saw as a kid? <laughs> yeah, book? totally. Yeah. So that's, like, this warm, cuddly, giant fucking, like, monster with a brain. Right. Versus this fish with a walnut-sized Wait, brain. Wait, what did just... you call that type of – what did you call that mammal? Monster. What are they called? A killer whale. Ah, see, here's the thing too. I call them killer whales as well. Orca. And uh, they're and Amber was like, uh, call them orca. And so they're really because orca is the name, but it's like it's bad PR to call them killer whales as well. So right. I mean, not that they have a, a like it, they're they don't have like their own um, a- academic you know group in college that's like call us uh, orca X's now. <laughs> But um, <laughs> we're whale fluid. <laughs> yeah, but if you want to be really woke, don't call them killer whales. Okay, it's actually it's offensive. So it's orca. Thanks, okay. Gabe. Always. I mean, I'm just a product of my uh, upbringing. But uh, <laughs> that's that's lazy. I'm sorry, that is so lazy. Yeah, stop being like. Uh, yeah, be be an active uh, protagonist in your own story. I, you can I, change. I can't. Can I can't tell whether you guys are being serious right you, now. <laughs> But uh, I did watch that. Uh, I think it was like National Geographic special on that pod of orca that have um, have all learned and trained the next generation on how to kill whale uh, great sure. whites. Great whites, yeah. And so you just have to get underneath the great white, and then you knock it uh, in its belly. Yep. You ram it from below, and if you hit it in its belly, it's like knocking the wind out of it, and it, oh, it'll turn upside down. Can't swim. And then it immediately goes into catatonic uh, uh, catatonic state. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. And then they eat its liver. Yeah. They don't even eat the rest of it. No. Dude. Yo, it, just its liver I, as a sign of disrespect, Holmes. <laughs> or just because it's like high in nutrients. Yeah, like they found the one organ that's yeah. like the prize. They're yeah. like, oh shit, G and C. Watching those docs, those specials <laughs> on animals and how they – I mean 
the polar bears that slowly track the seals it's that crazy. are underneath the ice. Yeah. They smell them from like hundreds of yards away. And they get on top of them, and all of a sudden, they just stand up on both legs and just fall forward with both paws face down and smash through the ice in like a machine gun like kind <laughs> of and and beat it. And get to the seal before the seal can. Some things genetic codes are water. written better than others. It's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes you know how many licks does it take to get to the center of this tootsie pop? Yeah, as many as you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Not very many. If you're a giant ass polar bear, <laughs> you just slam right through that ice. Speaking of good segues, Orca, also the name of the boat used to capture Jaws. Yep. Yeah. Or Bruce, as Bruce. Bruce was the name of the mechanic. There were three mechanical sharks built. Mm. To use in this film, um, all three of them didn't work for varying amounts of time, and that's why, which has led to the film being what it was, I think, because he wasn't able to use the actual shark as much as he wanted to. So it was actually better for the film, I thought. Oh, the less you saw of that shark, totally which terrible, totally. Frankly, you know, uh, so he named the, you know one of the mechanical sharks the main one Bruce uh, after his lawyer, <laughs> which I thought was pretty great. Spielberg is not the first uh, director. You know, tap for this one. The first director made a pitch, and he was basically talking about the film. He's like, I want this shot to look like this. And he's like, and then the whale comes up. And he kept saying whale. And the guys who wrote the film were like, and, and Peter Benchley were like, I'm not having a guy that keeps calling this thing a fucking no, whale direct this movie. It's a it's, easy way to lose the yeah, job. It's just, it's, you know, just prepare. Show Come up on. on time. They're giving you a lot of money. Study 75 before you do the podcast. Right? <laughs> yeah. Print it, yeah. <laughs> Print out your notes. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody but us prints out. We notes, sold gas in '97. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Yo, can you believe it? The bicentennial was the next year. That's crazy. <laughs> Yo, that's wild. That's three man. years before I was born, man. <laughs> Shit is dope. Uh, but uh, Jaws felt almost so. Things that existed before you're born, I think, just seem like. Um, canon they seem mm -hmm. they seem almost permanent because yeah. they existed before i existed and like jaws is an example of that because i watched this movie probably like with my grandparents with my parents it's like a family-friendly horror movie mm -hmm. it's a gritty action movie it uh it has old people in it that my parents liked to yeah, watch sure it's got history lessons in it yeah you know, like science world war ii science it yeah. just feels educational when you watch it it does and i remember i went to uh, universal studios I was like seven or eight, and they had uh, the Bruce. Probably they had the mechanical shark mm -hmm. hop out of the water when you're on the tour boat bus, and uh, that is like so. So for me, I thought, oh, this must be just a a benchmark, the backbone of American culture, right? Like that mechanical shark uh, was as uh, religious to me as like the American flag was. Sure, you know. Yeah, it symbolizes Americana, right? And and for you in particular, you know, who had that experience, and for a lot of us, who, I mean, it's up there with, you know, there's a whole group of people I think that feel that way about the Millennium Falcon, right? Right. You know, and it's like it's like that's America. I felt that way until about uh, what, like 2000, and yeah, then, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then Lucas started ruining our childhoods. I don't know what happened now with that. I can't. I, it took me forever to find the original three. You couldn't find them anywhere because he'd re, he'd put in, you know, the 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 CGI'd new guys into some of the final scenes of the old ones, and I was like, yeah, it's like you have to find a VHS copy, which I eventually did. Yeah, 
And then I don't have a VG- VHS player anymore. So now they're just like relics that I'm not going to watch. So, Ever. Yeah. You know what else happened in 1975? Talk. Betamax was introduced. <laughs> Who bet on... Yeah, did you, were you... Were you a family with the beta? We? I'm sure they... Yeah, no, I think our cousins had some. Yeah. It was one or the other. You either went VHS or you went beta, as yeah. far as I knew. And and it was like the D... D it was like when Blu-ray... Right. You know, are we gambling? It People gambled been, on Blu-ray. Right? It might have been our mutual friend and my cousin that had that one. Bash or, Mersh. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to Bash Mersh. Um, we could do an hour on Bashir. We, 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 we could. Um, so the, the, the sharks didn't work, lending itself to the film being a little scarier without the presence of a fake animatronic shark, which, by the way, sank in 13 feet of water the second they put it in the water. Each one of them were $250,000. Pieces like how they thought metal was just going to float, float yeah. in salt water. Literally, th- the reason they used Martha's Vineyard, that area, which I didn't know, uh, this is a little fun fact. The water up until a mile and a half out is only, it gets to the deepest at 13 feet. So that's why he chose to film oh. there as opposed to anywhere else. He wouldn't uh, do like a, a sanctioned studio tank, right. which is what everyone wanted. They're like, you're gonna, what do you mean you're going to shoot on water? Nobody shoots on water. Right. As Kevin Costner <laughs> learned 20 years later, bad idea. Water world. Water world, right. Um, so he chose to you know, make it look as organic as human possible. On location. He yeah, went of course. on location. And this was based off of a series of shark attacks that happened in New Jersey in 1916, all in the sort of timeline. A swimmer, a kid, you know, another attack. Is, is that the one they bring up in the film? It is. The five in, in like a week yeah, or something? that yeah. was it. That happened in New Jersey. That one even got into the river for a minute. So it was just like a, a crazed monster shark. Wow. That's like that dolphin that decided to hang out in uh, our canals in, in, in Gowanus. Gowanus. Oh, yeah. And people That's were like, <laughs> and I, I died after like two days of just inhaling toxic uh, waste. Right. But, um, but yeah. So, hey, that's a lesson to you animals. Don't, don't try to swim up into our rivers from the ocean. Well said, we'll, yeah, Gabe. We'll get you. We'll <laughs> yeah. get you with our, our you man-made poisons. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of you like we're taking care of the earth. <laughs> uh, love other shark movies, though. Lo- I love Deep Blue Sea. Loved it. Uh, the Beach, I wouldn't call a shark movie, but there is a, a great shark scene in it. Yeah, a couple. Uh, there's The Shallows, which is also fun. And uh, I haven't seen Sharknado, but I will say that I did see The Meg, and it was terrible. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yes. Too, you see the shark too much. Exactly. And it's, it, does, it looks like a, like a zombie shark. Yes. What but, did you guys think of – when you watched this recently, were you thinking about – the fact that this was a mechanical shark or did you let yourself just get sucked into the story and kind of try to suspend your disbelief? That's a good question. I'd say that story, I get sucked into the story and I get sucked in more into just Steven Spielberg's uh, directing style because there's so many subtle visual jokes Yeah, and there's so much visual storytelling that in every frame it's uh, it's easy to f- pick up on information that's entertaining, yeah, and that get that draws you into the world. So I, I don't think that much about like the shark looking cheesy. It's just one. It, it's actually the smallest aspect of the movie to me now when I watch it. Right, I'm so much more interested in the re- relationship between the three uh, main dudes, right. Cooper, Quint, and uh, Brody. Yeah, and also just the the dy- the politics of the town. In Amity. Which is actually what this movie is really about, ultimately. I, I mean, it's a huge part of, you know, the, the I did not remember from my time watching it as a younger person how much of the film takes place in the first half. Where yeah. they're on land and deciding what to do and 
back and forth to the beach and the conversations about what I mean, it's a lot about that. It is. Yeah. It's I, what forces Brody to finally go and do something because he hates the water. Right. He had to deal with the bureaucracy of uh, small town government and the fact that, that they've relied on, you know, a, a tourist season for, you know, yeah. to stabilize their economy. And I'd, I had the pleasure of watching this with someone who'd never seen it before. And her reaction was, I can't like this movie is a lot more political than I thought it would be. I was like, that's true. Yeah. It's <laughs> a, it's a, it's, I think they, they said it's like a Watergate when it came out, it was a, a Watergate slasher film, mm. and uh, I, I look <laughs> really. There's like tons of tons of uh, themes um, that are moving the action forward in this. I, I look at like um, political corruption, uh, the economic incentive to hurt people under capitalism, and uh, which uh, at literally and metaphorically devours the public. And uh, the shark is is capitalism, <laughs> I, at least in my mind, and it's also man's brutality. In World War Two, there's we talk about World War Two. We talk about American society in this, and then on a very simple, basic level, this is the story of a fish out of water, who is uh, who is Police Chief Brody, who is a cop, and he's supposed to protect the people of Amity over the summer, and a shark shows up and uh, terrorizes the local community and his family, so it becomes personal. Totally, and then Brody. Gets uh, hooks up with a scientist and with a, a lifelong fisherman, and then they go off on their boat to go and kill the shark for a ten thousand dollar bounty to save the mm-hmm. town of Amity. Um, Quint, uh, the the character by brilliantly played by Robert Shaw, who was oh. like a a Welsh uh, trained Shakespearean act stage actor, it was tremendous. Um, I think in my in my opinion, my favorite part of the movie is any time Quint's involved because it was mm-hmm. there was no disbelief that he was that person, right? At all, I can't even <laughs> no. And I think the acting was solid all around. By the way, the reason this came up is because Jordan's beard was bigger. He looked like Richard Dreyfus in this movie, and I'm trying to remember exactly why I came up with that. But I was like, holy shit! So I walked I into a Dreyfus. poker game. Yeah. yeah, I walked into a poker game, and you were like, you look like Richard Dreyfus from Jaws. <laughs> and then I turned. Six guys were like laughing. I, I hadn't seen it, turned, looked in the mirror. I was like, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> That's how this came up. No, That's why we're doing the, this. The acting, yeah. The, and I think they all – I mean, and that's – you know, that's kind of what I was thinking about with the E.T. reference too about – it's a style too. And, and we notice it. It's, it's much easier to notice when you watch films – you know, when you're in the future and you go back and watch different films from different times. And I find I love watching families where the kids are just out playing, not thinking about what they look like, their images, anything serious. They're just out playing. And I love that it grounds it for me in something that I think of as a childhood. It reminds me of my childhood too. Like having a younger, there's the older brother and the younger brother who always trails after him. Yep. And that was like, I had a younger brother and we would run around on the beach like that. Me too. Unsupervised. And uh, what I like is that there are families in this movie, but it's not like uh child centric. No, it's not like whereas a later Spielberg film that I think is like a little bit too child centric is Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah. And uh, and we've just entered this like uh, child centric po- pop culture universe where it, 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 I feel like I just think of that Applejack's commercial where it's just like um, like kids with their arms on their uh, hips being like we eat what we like yeah. and like everything is like 
around cuteness. That's very well put. I haven't thought of it that way, but yeah. And But here, it's like, no, these kids are just peripheral characters allowed to live in their own universe. Right. And But they're not the star of the film. And you see that throughout this where in Amity, the town – the the vandals are like little kids who are not the star of the film but like doing their own thing right and you we could have followed them as sure. like a sandlight a sandlot crew huh. well i think if you make that movie today right you might you have a lot of people probably in the studio saying why don't we do it where the kids are the stars yes what uh garbage it's yeah. just but i mean obviously there's it, economic reasons for like that it. exactly <laughs> like it but we have uh, – so uh, Roy Schneider's character in this, Brody, is awesome, and he is a – I love Roy Schneider, and he's a, he, he was in another movie from the 70s uh, uh, called The Sorcerer. Or no, that's maybe early 80s, but it's amazing. He's great in everything. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, you know, the more also – French Connection, right? He's in French Connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and looking at the faces – <laughs> it's so much of cast. It's so much of a film is casting. And I remember reading, not to get too esoteric, but Fellini, the great director, said 90% of his job was picking the right face. And when they use it really well, the scene where he's at the dinner table after he feels like he's the one responsible for the little boy dying after he let the beaches be open. And he's sitting there with his hands on his face and his little kids make, you know, making fun of it, do imitating all the facial yeah. moves and everything. Yeah. It's a special face Scheider has. It's a weird kind of, those eyes are really far apart. It's just all three of them have special faces that I think matter because a lot of what we're getting from this movie are the reactions of the humans to what is going on that's threatening them. It matters what their faces do. And he's allowed to act. Like this yeah. is, you know, later I, I feel as though uh, a lot of Spielberg movies have just like rousing scores right. that uh, guide your emotions. Right. And uh, manipulate you um, so that you can't have anything but one reaction. And in this, this was a touching scene between a father and a son that felt so universal but also gave room to breathe oh. where you could uh interpret it any way you wanted to yeah it's it really just aids the pacing <laughs> of this film which i thought was one of its best qualities because totally when i was younger and at two hours and ten minutes it feels like a lifetime i watched it again and i was like wow this is actually a much shorter film than i had originally thought it was that's because i think he does a really good job of following some pretty like right. standards about how to move pacing along with when they go on, it's about halfway through, I think, when they go to the boat. Right. Yeah. It's two halves. It's, two it's halves. like two Full halves. Metal Jacket. You've right. got training, and then you've got Vietnam. Right. Very true. Here you've got Amity, and you've got the, uh, sea. the sea. And right. it's like Psycho as well. You've got the – you've got – you're following um, – The inn? Is the, it the, or, or, sorry. She's in San Francisco at the beginning of the film. Oh, okay. And then uh, – and she, she steals the money, and then the second half is the motel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's because when you've got a long film, it feels less like you're watching one long slog than right. if now you're watching essentially, oh, we've moved into totally new territory. Right. 
And I think a pretty solid adaptation of the book, which I read when I was like in third grade. I made a diorama for a book report on it uh-huh. with a Playmobil character <laughs> <laughs> and a boat. And a I shark loved di- dioramas were probably was my like, favorite art down. projects. Oh, like, I'm yeah. surprised that my dad gave me that book in the fourth grade. But it's a long, it's a long read and it's graphic. And there's a lot of stuff that they don't touch on. There's uh, sexual relationships that they don't really uh, huh. talk about. Richard Dreyfuss's character does not make it. Yeah, but oh. they, wanted, they, wanted alert. To, they wanted to make these characters more likable for the movie. So they got and they trimmed the fat and got rid of a lot of those side plots. Right, it's yeah. rated PG, the great which thing. is interesting to think about this today. Anyway, that is someone actually said that to me. My friend who watched it with well, me was like, "That's crazy. This is PG. It's and PG. Like, yeah, there's no the person. reason there was PG thirteen invented or created was because of Spielberg movies. Right. So Indiana Jones and the Temple, uh, I believe it was Temple. Uh, Temple was our first. Was R because of, or is it PG thirteen? PG thirteen. I think PG thirteen because of the heart. Yeah, or I think Raiders so. of the Lost Ark might have been the one. Okay, but his films because they drew so many children to see them, but were also had these moments of extreme gore. Right, right. Uh, created that rating. Uh, Spielberg did actually say that uh, he, when he read the book before, obviously taking the job or. or you know, pitching for the job, he said that he was rooting for the shark because he found the characters so unlikable. And in the book, they were far more unlikable than they well, are. Well, then it makes sense to me that right. uh, the author would then have some problems with how the final product came out about how it portrays sharks. He was actually kicked off of the final scenes because he was not happy with the climax of the right. movie. So he had, uh, you know, uh, a bout of consciousness. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. Um, I also understand, though... Conscience, not consciousness. Both. <laughs> Both. And I understand, I, you know, and especially in that time, Hollywood or a director at least right. being like, no, no, the three guys are the heroes. The shark has to die. Of course. Or at least the two guys. Well, the shark there. was never billed as anything but a villain. Right. Even in the book. I mean, right. it was a terrorizing monster. You that... could have made, you, you know, you could have made a turn. And obviously this isn't how it was. Well, I didn't read it, so I don't know. But right. I would say you could make a turn where, which happens today in a lot of films of where we perceive the animals as predators. They are nothing but reacting to man's overgrown idea of their importance in the structure. Right. And then you end up with a protagonist that defends the, the animal or predator's ability to, you know, not be tortured by us. It's our fault. And you could have had that. But Right. Richard Dreyfus's character could have been uh, more yes. like a, hey, you know, sharks, this is an endangered species. Or yeah, if you, you kill them, <laughs> you're screwing up the yeah. whole food system that's going to ruin the whole, you know, ecology of the surrounding areas and the, your island. You could have had that. Um, but the crazy thing about that is, is this guy's a marine biologist who is now on his way to murder a shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, he's like, I got something on board that'll kill it. Different time, yeah. <laughs> I mean, know. I guess so. And right? also really interested in the study. And, and so dead is, you know. I guess dead's better than alive. Dead's yeah. better than alive to study sharks. So this led to obviously like a mass hunting and culling of these animals afterwards. So that's why Benchley had a, a, a freak out. Captain Quinn's character was not even loosely based off this guy, Frank Mundus, who was a Montauk fisherman turned shark hunter. So he would take tours into, you know, off, off Long Island and go hunt great white sharks and bring them on shore. Wow. So Benchley, after several years, you know, after he reached, so he had that epiphany. He took Mundus out to go view sharks, put him in a cage, and he immediately felt remorse for what he'd done. He was just like, this isn't fair. These animals just live, and they exist, and they are a, a pillar of, of an ecosystem Yeah, it's and like the environment. He, it's like he watched that Netflix special, uh, Game Changer. Right, and like, like and me he... now just eats uh, plants. <laughs> I've been does told push-ups. to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it for a little while. Uh, <laughs> I'm still good with some of my food choices. <laughs> there is a little propaganda in there because it's, no. it's produced by Schwarzenegger and James Cameron, who are both have huge interests in uh, pee, pee, 
plant-based pea protein. They own their own companies. I'm allergic to peas, so. Oh, oh my. You gave actually fucking, you hate peas. Yeah. Anytime I put pea in anything I cooked, he's like, we can put peas in there again, dude. I'm like, yeah. Oh, man, I was you. like, why'd you sprinkle peas into this pasta? That's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't get it. Ridiculously I, delicious. I, yeah, I don't get peas. I'm not like allergic, you know, yeah. but I just don't get them a lot. I should I'm cook like, for each on. other. All right. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah, pick a, a better legume. I Please. Guess. Yeah. I like uh, I like some habichuelas. <laughs> some, uh, I don't even know what that is. Red beans, baby. Oh. Yeah. All right. Black beans, too. Any beans. I like them all. Chili. Let's do it. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, mm. And he uh, plays Hooper in this movie. And right. I think uh, what he he was kind of also a stand in for Spielberg. You know, a lot of directors like to write themselves into films. And I uh, identified the most with this character, I think, as a little kid um, because he is funny uh, he is neurotic. He is smart. Younger. Uh, he codes as Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, he is uh, he is a nebbish, uh, a Woody Allen like hero. <laughs> sure. Uh, who is inserted into this movie filled with uh, gruff, waspy men? Yeah, he he <laughs> he is given a little more. Strength, a little more personal kind of uh, strength than your traditional Woody Allen in you know in the vein of Woody tougher. Allen. He had he had he had a little bit of edge and toughness. Showed his scars. I mean, he was the one when they're out on the boat. He's the one who takes him out at night at the beginning. And yeah, dives down to study the bottom of the hull. So at first. stupid. I mean, I, which is that part really did kind of because Ben Gardner's boat is what we're talking about. Yes, yeah, it, yes, Ben Gardner's boat. And he's 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 the one saying you haven't caught you know the the, the actual the real shark, one right. like you've still got a man eater he's trying to sound the alarm and he's yet just jumping in at, at in night, the dark in the right. dark yeah I I had an issue with that and I was like kind of got mad I was like what the fuck is this guy doing yeah it didn't it didn't fit with how we'd been set up to understand his his character but yeah. again so I watched this with somebody who watched it newly to have like a different perspective on it and she's like why she's like this doesn't make sense and I go why does it not make sense to you when he does that dive right she goes because did you see his reaction when he was doing the autopsy basically same thing yeah, yeah. exactly she, she she was like there's no right yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he's, that scene. By the way, they couldn't find a hand that looked real enough when they found the body washed on shore in the very beginning. So they buried one of the extras up to her arm. That's actually a real human. Oh, arm that's a real stick. arm yeah. coming out of the net. Yep, that's great. <laughs> yeah, they just had, probably had like a like a beer bong funnel breathing tube <laughs> exactly stuck in her mouth uh, off camera. Yeah, that scene was crazy to me. But. Well, well. So Hooper, uh, let's the the three main characters all kind of represent different. I mean, I listen to this uh, somewhere, I think, on another podcast, but mm. they talk about how they kind of represent different ideas of masculinity. And I thought about that, and I just thought about, why, well, why did I like Hooper so much? And uh, he, as a kid, I was like, okay, this guy, he's, uh, he's uh, feels like, well, one, I liked how he dressed. He's oh, like, sorry. he looks like a uh, t- early 2000s hipster that listens to The Strokes. Like he's got the <laughs> denim jacket and the tight uh, jeans. Yeah. And uh, when when it's time to get formal, he just puts on like a burgundy knit tie. Yeah. And with his, he has a blazer. He yeah. puts a blazer on. Yeah, but most of the time he's in a Canadian tuxedo. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, he's a fisher. He's he's a he's a waterman. He's 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 a, he's a yeah not waterman. A uh, waterman. He's a hipster who dresses up like a working man. Right. And uh, he uh, later on, I, I see um, echoes of this same scientific nerd 
in uh, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Mm. I think this is like a Spielberg likes the science nerds. Sure. Uh, the, the guys with authority who, uh, and who are also independently wealthy. Yeah. Both Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park is a uh, – he's like a capitalist um, scientist. Oh. Right? And this guy is uh, – Hooper is a independently wealthy rich guy who's bought his way into the scientific community. <laughs> and he, well, they're like, where'd you get this awesome boat? And he's like, I bought it. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like he created the Oceanographic Institute that he works for. <laughs> right. Like he just printed out uh, – his own like cards diplomas. with it and a diploma. Yeah. When breaking and, down, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's sea Batman. You I, know, I said young trust fund kid who was this, uh, you know, skilled marine biologist. Sure, is kind of how I took him because there's one point where Quentin is like, he's like, he got he got city hands, Hooper. He's like, you've been counting money oh, all your sure, life, which sure. I thought was great. And then he goes, I don't need this working working class hero bullshit. Right, right. Which you know, so yeah, they we did see not antagonism like between the trust fund guy. Yeah. he's calling this other guy derisively working class. Right. And I think also exactly. I mean, that's his yeah. that's his retort. They did not like each other on or off screen, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? At all? Yeah. Uh, Shaw was a, a notorious drunk, right? And he would go after Scheider, or not Scheider. He would go after Dreyfus a lot, right? Some some sort of anti-Semitic qualities to what he was saying, and it was mm-hmm. just like this back and forth. He did it more of like as a ribbing because obviously he can't. You know, if you're working for plenty of Jewish people in this business, that doesn't mean you it doesn't can't mean anything. be right. Oh no, you yeah, absolutely could still not. Be I, I went thousand percent think Yeah, come on, was. shout outs to Mel Gibson. <laughs> but I think it was his yeah. style. This young kid who's like doing theater, and he's like the seasoned, grizzled British. You know, Shakespearean actor. Right, he's a titan, after. essentially. Right, exactly. If you look at his career before Jaws, yeah, and and actually, there are a lot of stories of him. Well, no, but I'm thinking of like his class of like there were a bunch of big time British, uh, sorry, English trained the- theatrical actors mm-hmm. who did big budget movies, right, and had reputations for really looking down upon some of their counterparts who didn't have the training they had. Sure. And having right. fun with them because they fancied themselves so eloquent and so witty because of their training in those arenas. And um, I, I remember, I think I read something about um, the guy that plays the... Um, who's the, 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 the guy that, that takes Russell Crowe under his wing in Gladiator? The older guy yes, with the tan. Yeah. Who's always saying things like, shadows and dust. Yes. We all but shadows and dust. <laughs> yeah. Notorious drunk <laughs> British a, theater I'm guy. a slave trader with a heart of gold. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Separate that infant from, her, from his mother. <laughs> win the crowd. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love you, but if you don't win, I'm going to feed you to this lion. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And I, I just... Uh, those stories are interesting, and also you also wonder when you hear those kinds of stories whether or not the instigator has those ideas of creating some sort of actual dynamic between the actors off screen so that it plays on screen for some purpose because his character clearly has to resent the hell out of this you know, young rich kid. I mean, I think it could even go deeper than that. And I think there could be like the Anglo representation of theater actors that don't have to deal with a Semitic power complex in Hollywood. You know what I mean? So there's, there's probably a lot going on. Sure. That we could dive into. Sure. We'll I just mean, call it. They did not like each other for whatever reason. And, yeah. Uh, translated fantastically on film. But, but what, but, but you know, that the scene that we all, that most people remember who haven't maybe seen it as many times. One of the scenes that most people remember is the is them at night on the water drinking and showing their scars and then singing together. Right. And there they bond. Right. 
and it's re- it stands out that they bond over that, right? Um, and it 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 also represents, I think, a, an er, a, an impulse in a lot of people thought to be privileged, right? Having to earn their stripes by showing how tough they are by playing in the working man's world, which I think is actually kind of nice, right? I think it's yeah. I mean, I watched some documentary a couple of years back about the film, and J- uh, Dreyfus has no Ill, like hard feelings left, you know, towards Quinn. Like, he's like, it was just what it was then, and he's like, obviously, like he appreciated the, the level of acting that that probably, you know, helped him reach right at that at that specific point. Right. I mean, also in, in that scene, I mean, this is what I consider to honestly one of the best scenes, one of the best dialogues delivered in cinema history. So we want to talk about that scene before we talk about the characters. The rest of the characters. Oh, we can talk about the rest of the characters. Well, I mean, I was just we were. I, I thought about going through because uh, I because like that's a whole thing. Yeah, that's itself. true. Sure. You know, and we were talking well, like because we can talk about Quint honest like next, and then talk about Brody. Yeah, because we just we just tackled Hooper. Cool. As the uh, trust fund sea Batman, and uh, <laughs> very uh, who who reads is Jewish. Who and, reads is Jewish. And then we've got Quint, who's played by Robert Shaw. And like one big thing is he's old Hollywood versus this new Hollywood. Right. Like he's been making movies since the fifties. He's a playwright. He's just got so much uh, going on. And he died like three years after this, yeah, in seventy eight at the age of fifty one. Collapsed. So even though he looks uh, older than uh, God in in this film, yeah. he's he's uh, pretty young. He's only like forty six, forty seven. Yeah. And uh, he, um, Quint, I had to watch uh, his, him with subtitles. Quint? <laughs> yeah. I watch a ton of um British and uh northern northern British uh stuff on television so uh, I have a I have an ear for it but yeah, yeah. I get it. Cuz we meet him halfway through the film and I, that's like, you know, he he is probably the the star of the second half for me. Right. But uh when we meet him, uh I thought that his performance could have easily been too over the top. Like right. it could have been fun, it could have been absurdly yeah, funny because the tone is so different. Just his accent and uh, how big and gregarious he is. Right, and his whole acting style is like sputtering, it's... muttering, and singing while bullying you. Right, and then <laughs> and then he and then he settles and pierces you with eyes. That's that's <laughs> the effect. You know that story that we're going to talk about that he tells. Right, the, it, it's so. He's so still, and that's training. Yeah, you know, and that's one of those things that allow. So if he's out there making those farewell and Spanish ladies, Spanish ladies, you know, he's doing that and laughing that high pitched cackle, and then he pulls it all down and just sits there and slowly tells you while barely moving about this moment. Yeah, and it has so much more impact because of. Oh yeah. I mean, he's that guy at the bar that will smile at you and and like like if you're is he's the drunk who is uh, you never know whether he likes you or not. Right. Like, oh, I'm hanging out with a psychopath. Right. He doesn't know. Right. (laughs) Right. And and because that's not. Yes, exactly. He's he's not thinking. Right. And I'm keeping you on your toes the entire time I'm talking to you. That's that guy. And he. uh, Yes. And and maybe this is PTSD. (laughs) <laughs> from uh, from being a World War II vet, right? And he is also where Hooper has bought uh, all of his skills and training right. and education. Right. Uh, Quint has gotten all of his education through uh, tragedy 
and uh, actual life experience. Yes, uh, on-the-job experience. Yeah, he, he's out there. He knows how to tie the knots. He's out there hunting the sharks every day. We see that he is um, self-sufficient uh, when we go to his like dry dock, and he's, he's brewing his own – he's making his own liquor. Mm-hmm. And he's also boiling his own uh, shark bones. Right. And he's making a list of all of the things he's going to need. He is a survivalist. Yes. He is the living embodiment of uh, of uh, Soldier of Fortune magazine. You know. <laughs> yeah. So we see we see on one end <laughs> the naval the, version. The technic like Hooper is like this technocratic new uh, idea of like a, like a, a ri- the rich expert versus this uh, older American rugged individualist yeah. college boy versus working class. I mean, yeah. Like the age old. Uh... And so just because we didn't fully get to this, but where do you find Brody falling down in that? Brody is is a a law and order in the family man. And Brody is a city cop who's working in Amity over the summer. So he so he's the he's the fish out of water. And the guy we're supposed to identify with, I think of him also as like a a quiet, what like um, strong, quiet type. Sure. Maybe Captain America. Gary Cooper. He. (laughs) But he represents just sort of authority. He's just the law. He's yeah. the law. And uh, and he's and sensitive. He is the happy, the medium between these two people. He's not undereducated, overeducated. Right. He's, he's he gets, strong, he but sensitive. Dirty. But he's a fucking cop. So, like, I can't respect <laughs> this dude. Like, why, why'd you leave Boston, Brody? Or New, New York, York City, yeah, yeah. Why? Why? Did you, like, you know, kill too many young black kids? Like, what were you doing? What was your job? Were His you like, backstory has not been flushed out fully. Was, yeah, was he on the Vice Squad, like watching gay people like blow each other in the park and like you know arresting them for it? Cruising. Like this is the seventies. Is he a dirty cop? Was he just on the hair? Was he part of like the heroin trade? Was he out there in Harlem just fucking shaking One of Serpico's, down? Like other like the dudes that was the bad guys yeah. in Serpico. Yeah. Like he's a great family man, but like I want to see the prequel where he's the bad lieutenant. <laughs> Brody's some bullshit. So yeah, did you? Yeah, right. Brody, Brody's just uh... yo. I the one character I wish the shark had eaten was the cop. We need to have a luau at sea and throw that piggy overboard. Yo, Quint and that other dude should have chopped him up into chum. Oh man, I guess you like him because he's got a family. But yo, man, everybody with a gun to their head is always like, I, but I've got a wife and kids. Who cares? Ventilate that dude's skull. Why'd you pick being a cop? <laughs> we, we, we just don't know enough. We don't know enough. Anyway, I'm yeah. glad I came back to Brody. I feel like you needed that. I think he was waiting for that. Out. That's why he was like, are you sure you don't want to talk about Brody? We need yeah. to do characters. Guys, we need to do characters. Specifically one. Yeah, you're like, Brody's the happy medium. I guess, man. He's he's right. At, he's on that thin blue line that needs to get I don't know over. if he's the happy medium. I know how you feel. <laughs> I feel like just between those two characters, he's like the uh, you know the barrier. Yeah. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Well, he's definitely the, the peacemaker at times. I, I didn't know we were going to get into an iced tea rant. <laughs> so uh, Some body count shit. Well, let's go through. Let's go through the movie a little bit, dude. I'm hopping right into the opening scene. This is my jam. All right, we got these like young, 
vibrant, vivacious, horny teens, mm. and they got the fire on the beach. It's nighttime. A boy and a girl are staring at each other, getting ready to have uncomfortable, sexy, sandy beach sex. <laughs> and it's uh, and he, he doesn't even know her name. He's like, "What's your name?" And she's like, "Oh, you forgot, Chrissy." Chum and <laughs> chum. <Bait. laughs> young, young chum, Susie Bate. And uh, this is this is pre AIDS 1975 sex they're gonna have. No, that's that good, good. Yeah, she chases. Uh, <laughs> he chases her into the uh, into the surf. She uh, gets naked, skinny dips. This was very titillating as a child. Yeah, PG again. It's PG. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, sex was PG back then. This was like uh, again before AIDS. So right. people, you know, maybe it was. Uh, I think we entered an age of like a new Puritan uh, age in like the early 80s mm-hmm. with them. Um, Mm-hmm. With the Reagan Revolution, and uh, so, but this was like the swinging, yeah, sexual revolution time, and sex is natural. Uh, the girl hops into the water, and uh, and here, this is like a slasher film, you know. And I think of like Jaws, the shark, as as a little bit. It's a little rapey. He's out there. He's he, nibbles on her, and leg. he's coming up from underneath. There's that long approach shot of the perspective of Jaws. Yeah, the predator. The predator, and it's just like curvy, naked, sexy woman, kind of. Yes, and it's horrifying when you see it's, just the top half of her body uh, moving back and forth yeah. across the screen. Yeah, and you don't see the shark, but you're, but it's what you don't see that makes it feel so, uh, so uh, horrifying. There's also, um, and. You know, this is just I, – I notice this stuff, I guess. People do, but sometimes don't talk about it. But the lighting at that time – the lighting on the water, it's this, like, weird – like, we know it's night. But then she runs and jumps in, and there's, like, this moonlight glow across, too. It just feels it, – it, it I don't – it feels tex- – there's a texture. I, for lack of a better word, I don't really know, you know – Great lighting. It's just magical. It it is. It it feels disturbing in like almost like a. It's almost like it's a. She's jumped into this like dream kind of place. It's an eerie lighting for sure. Eerie. Yeah. Looks like just before dusk. Yes. Dawn. Sorry, dawn. The magic hour. Dawn. Right. Or just after dusk. I mean, it. It's both kind of. Yeah. It gives you that both feel. Obviously, we know it's nighttime because they're you know having a bonfire. Right. Um, well, who knows how late they were partying? True, could be the beginning of the morning, right? Because um, the boy passes out. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be pretty late. Yeah. Why? You know, this is so. You know, why wait until the guy is so exhausted he's going to pass out before you offer her sex? Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. planned. They didn't plan it out. No, too spontaneous. Also, that's going to be the one time that guy does not regret not having sex. Or was she <laughs> offering sex? Was she just saying, "Let's go swimming"? I mean, I feel like his odds were decent. Better they were than, they better, were decent. If better he, than they would have been. Sure, definitely. She's yeah. definitely separating herself from the pack, right. which is a, a signal dollar. oftentimes for intimacy. Disrobing, always. Yes, disrobing is a great sign. Sure, sure, sure. But these are all nonverbal cues. Nonverbal. So we can't take them uh, as uh, as a hundred percent affirmative. This is true. It's not enthusiastic consent yet. Maybe in nineteen seventy five it was. <laughs> Christy, so, as she runs away, is like, right. yeah, I'm in. Would you like to have sex? This is PG, right? Are right? you okay so with I can this? Do this. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, this all happens on, on Amity. And we find out this is the, the name of the island they're on. The name means friendship mm-hmm. in uh, New England. And um, 
Jaws is there's all white people in this movie, so Jaws is just <laughs> it out is there very white snacking on white. Uh, waspy crackers. And uh, here we go. The mayor is uh, then we see the mayor. Um, well, Brody finds the, the hand, right? And it's it's uh, it's disturbing. This freaked me out as a little kid seeing the hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it is it's fucking freaky. Real and, hand. And they take uh, and and they they uh, they find a coroner. Right, and the they they say it's a, a shark attack, but the the mayor gets freaked out about this. He doesn't want it reported as a shark attack. He wants it reported as a boating accident. You yell barracuda, and people are like, "What's that? I don't care." Yeah. You yell shark. We got a panic. Pan. Yeah, that's right. And he's where and I love this guy, Larry Vaughn. That's the name of the mayor in this, and he's wearing a a jacket with uh, anchors on it. Yes, yes. Very cool jacket. Like how the Riddler has that one of those suit coats with, with question, question marks. marks. Yeah. Very <laughs> nautically themed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> appropriate. And, it's very literal. And the mayor gets the, the coroner to uh, cover it up. Mm. In, in the, and this is very much like the uh, Epstein cover-up. <laughs> good, good segue. Good. All, all comes back to Epstein. Sure. So, well, we're learning this movie is teaching me as a, as a little boy to have distrust of uh, of the local politicians, right? Growing up in DC helped helped aid that, I think. Sure, sure, and it's all about managing uh, PR. It's about managing the image. And here's the thing about this character specifically to me: he's not unlikable because he's doing it. Oh, I found him incredibly I mean, unlikable. As far as most of the characters are concerned, he's probably the least, but he's not wholly unlikable as like a villain. He's basically he's doing what he's doing to. I mean, it's not. Let's let's say it's not. Uh, Chernobyl, Mikhail Gorbachev level sure. cover up. Sure, know. he's just trying to do what's right for the town. Ultimately, himself. Yeah, sure. But he's not. You don't hate him, and then his arc is pretty quick. Well, he, he comes around. Yes. Well, you know, once it touches Scheider's kid and his kid. Well, well his kids right. are on that beach. Yes, that's right. That's right. That beach, that was and, a great scene. You know, yeah, they didn't. <clears throat> and that's fine, but he's a two-dimensional character for most of it. Right. And then he, we all we get to see is just his sort of shock mm. into acceptance. Mm-hmm. And that's and then we're done with him really. And they they do a really great job of painting this uh of Amity so quickly. You know, yeah. we see Brody uh walk out of his house and it's immediately like we're in a Norman Rockwell painting. We see the sign for the Gazette, the local newspaper, we meet the press. Uh, we he has an old nice secretary, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, and and you and this is a very Mayberry police station. Yeah, totally. There's it doesn't even seem like they have a drunk tank. It's just two rooms. Yeah, and he's got uh, even though the the his deputies look like old dudes. Yeah, they have they, a very boyish quality to them. It, oh yes. yeah, absolutely. Which is also feels a little Mayberry to me. Like they're too innocent. Yeah, they're like Don Knotts. Like, yeah. Uh, like old dudes with little smooth, smooth, uh, wrinkleless baby brains. He's also the most in demand small town chief I've ever seen. Oh Everyone my God. wants a piece Everybody. of him. Everybody, there's wants something that going ear. on. Yeah, left, right, and center. This town yeah. is bumping. Like he walks outside, there's like a parade happening. All the local business owners Vivacious. are complaining to him about yeah. the the kids are knocking over my fences. Yeah, they're karate chopping. Two more later on the beach, people just keep coming up to him, asking him for stuff. You yeah. know, he need they need help. Parking tickets, parking zoning rights, <laughs> and doesn't and you know he's like I wish I was back in uh, Brooklyn or the Bronx where I could just hit these people over the head with my baton and steal money out of their pockets for protection. <laughs> <laughs> Why love, are none of these I, people I, black? 
because I, then I could just shoot them and sprinkle drugs on them. Your backstory vision of Brody <laughs> yeah. is so complex. Yeah, just it's to clarify, just... we're not. <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing some internal investigation. This isn't Serpico we're reviewing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, goddamn parades. Uh, at least it's not the Puerto Rican Day Parade. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. We all do. We all know uh, what you it's mean. Nice to nice to move to Amity, where uh, it's a little bit lighter around here. <laughs> stays uh, stays a little bit lighter at night. Color palettes. The yeah. color wheel is so much shorter. Uh, I like coffee sometimes, but mostly I like cream. There we go. Heavy, heavy white cream. <laughs> I like a nice chantilly, like a like a whipped cream with sugar in it. White. Uh, all right. No one's saying that Brody is a white supremacist, but he did decide to move to Amity mm-hmm. for the summer with his kids and uh his white ass kids (laughs) his mayo ass kids and nobody in this movie so they're all at the beach all the time at amity and it doesn't look like anybody is wearing sunscreen and i am just thinking about this that what a bunch of leathery people yeah yeah everyone looks like george hamilton i i you know i don't know i i grew up not wearing much sunscreen me neither yeah and uh i can tell boys yeah (laughs) <laughs> but again that goes to me that that's again part of this nostalgia that i kind of feel right for a time where we didn't even know that sun can't that uh you'd get melanoma from yeah, the sun yeah like it was like yeah no don't get burnt like that was the sort of line for when you put screen on it was like oh you're gonna you're gonna get burnt you're getting burnt my, here uh suntan seemed healthy to people like uh yeah i had a my aunt she's like still does 14 years me. older than me and i remember her sitting by my at my grandma's house and uh she would just slather herself in baby oil and Ooh. just like sizzle in the just sun cook yeah. yeah and that was the vibe yeah and like the late 70s what's her face from uh something about mary the uh the the older woman that <laughs> <laughs> you know that's her steez that's what she's going for yeah and uh we got a so the um the 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 brody he gets bullied into uh saying that there wasn't a shark attack fine it was a boating accident right but he's he's freaked out that this might be the real thing so he's hanging out playing lifeguard again why is the cop who hates the water also moonlighting as a lifeguard that's the cuz you know the the lifeguards just aren't doing their job. Like, he just like <laughs> tapped out a teenage boy and was like, "I got this." No, no, but I mean, no, he's sitting. No, he's sitting with his family. Okay, he's not maybe. in the. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's definitely not in the high chair. But right. he's de- And then we get to that that iconic shot, which the shot the the, the dolly in and the pull and the fit and the zoom out. Yes, the, the, which I think was either something he borrowed directly from Hitchcock or he took something Hitchcock did in Vertigo. And changed it because I think it was a pretty unknown technique at that point. The, the huge wide pan out. You so mean. what you do is you push the dolly in mm-hmm. and you open the aperture. So it's, it would be like you're zooming out on the camera. Right. But you're pushing the dolly in. So the, the lens is actually it, – it's that weird we're going to get really close to this one person but show you the world expanding yeah. around them. Kind you're of talking thing. about the Scheider shot. When he yeah. feels like the – yeah, when yeah, the yeah, kid yeah. – Brilliant. And you see, Spike Lee does a lot of stuff like that. He yes. definitely. Malcolm X, I think, has a couple of big yeah, shots it's like that. Using these dollies, and you have like a, a it's static focus on the face, right? But then you, but the world around it swirls and spins and and uh, either expands or shrinks, right? 
Right. I think Spielberg talks about directly taking certain. I mean, obviously, everyone's taking in, in that genre of film something from Hitchcock, and that's yeah. definitely. Uh, uh, I remember studying. I studied a little Hitchcock in college, and I remember studying about how in Vertigo he was creating new techniques to show, try to mirror with the way he shot it the right. feeling that the human gets. And then, you know, Cameron created new stuff when he went deep sea. You know, diving and tried to find um, new te- new ways. Right, came with Titanic, but I think he developed a lot of the stuff. Um, I might be conflating stories here, but I, I know that the stuff he did for Avatar, oh, with the right. facial recognition, human yeah. human kind of sensors, was stuff that he had developed himself over years and years of working with different techniques of camera stuff. It's just cool when you see it put into. Yeah. yeah, and I think of uh, uh, more modern movies that do that are Requiem for a Dream really uh, uses the camera work there, gets you uh, really into the mindset of a, of a junkie, and, uh, uh, and, then, and then most recently Uncut Gems feels like I'm, I, I feel like I am a compulsive gambler watching that movie. Good movie? I yeah, seen oh, it's it. great. It's okay. great. Oh, it's Good. great. You'll love it. Good. But, um, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> there's a lot of um, certain camera – uh, shots that he specifically used. He used a lot. He filmed a lot on sea level to give the audience to feel like it was treading water. So he's basically shooting from that angle specifically to give you that viewpoint. Very much so. Which I, I, added to the fear. Yeah, there's a lot where you're down on the water line. Yep. Then there's just like so much subconscious storytelling happening too. Like in that scene, the beach scene, the very the uh, one of the first things you see is uh, a large woman walking into the water right after we realize after they say like there's a shark still out there right and then you just see a a a chubby lady walk in and you're like oh chum awesome right and then and then the boys and then the kids go in yeah yeah and there's the dog the the, the, the kid with the dog and the shark goes for the least uh satiating meal yeah in like a small labrador and now that we know so much about sharks like that one that's a bs he's not getting that dog but anyway yes and uh, this is – so then after the second uh, murder and you just see the bloody deflated raft uh, washing up on shore. And I, I was a little bony boy like that little – I had a raft. I had that raft. I, I had the yeah. yellow-blue oh, yeah. Everyone foot, reversible joint. Okay. Sure, sure. So this is just like so identifiable as totally. a kid. And you know – now you know this movie is playing for keeps. You're like, oh, snap. That shark's going to just be snacking on kids? And, well, pu- this, and puppies? The shot – I think it's it's right after the, the, the zoom-in pullback thing where they turn around and show you what he sees. And it's – the full like shark coming out of the water, yeah. blood is spraying. Yeah, and it we know it's a boy, and you're like mm-hmm. kind of crazy. That pathetic mom, like that, because at the beginning when you see her, she just looks like so pathetic, kind of, and she's like, yeah, you know, just don't. I just feel like they cast this just woman who, and and then they use her. Obviously, her big moment is when she comes up to him later, but. I just oh she's so you feel so bad I don't yeah. know I did really interesting story about that those two the mother and the son uh, Lee Fierro who played the mother Mrs Kittner walked into a, a, a restaurant like a seafood restaurant um, you know somewhere on in, in in that area and she was looking through the menu and there was an Alex Kittner sandwich and then she kind of laughed and was like oh I played the mother of that child in Jaws and everyone was like oh and. The owner of the restaurant came running out and was like, I was 
Jerry Jeffrey Voorhees, I played your son. No way. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like 15, 20 years later, um, <laughs> they ran into each other in that contact, which is crazy. Yeah. Wow. So that's math uh, is vineyard. That's something. And then he was he was of age, so they got married. <laughs> God, jeez, jeez, Louise. Uh, <laughs> I uh, we meet. So you know this this is traumatic for the whole Amity, and uh, we we meet the business people. And I love one thing I love about this movie is the settings because just like this grim, ugly municipal building, it's great. And it's not there's nothing about it that's glamorous, and that reminds me of New Hollywood and sort of the settings. It feels real. It feels grounded. And all of the uh, townspeople, the business people, are ugly humans. Yep. Uh, you know, and and that's cool too that they didn't cast really photogenic people. They all just seem normal. They have bad haircuts. Yeah, it's uh, a blue-collar, working-class group of people that get a bump in their in in the money they can make over the summer season because that's when the tourists come in and spend. And they don't want to close the beaches for even 24 hours. No. They're like, no, that's too much. 24 hours is, is like three weeks in the summertime, they say. And it makes me – this, again, uh, ideologically made me think, well, this is the reason you can't have business lead policy. You, business cannot be working hand in hand with your uh, municipal government because uh, the profit incentive has no room uh, for, in its logic, for preserving uh, people, the common good, or resources. There's where strict <laughs> capitalism, in my opinion, is doomed to fail. Just you need checks. You need something that is strong enough to battle that bottom line theory for the greater good of the group. Yeah, this group they can't they're they they can't think that well, we need to keep the humans alive it, so that they'll continue to buy things from us. There can be no pause. No, but but again, we're going back to we've talked about this in different contexts, but 75. We also there hadn't been a big, you know, Shark fear wasn't like a thing. You know, people were like, whatever. Maybe it was a shark. Even when they decided that it was a shark, they were like, who knows if it's even still here? It's one in, you know, however many people were in the water. So you kind of, they're, they're, you know, they're the, they're a bit of us in that sense. They're kind of like asking the questions like, do we really need to fear this? You know, right. Well, like instead of the shark, it could be climate change. It could be, yeah. well, you know, all of Australia is on fire and the koalas are uh, dying from black lung and emphysema right now. Yeah. And the kangaroos are all singed corpses. So should we do anything? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, not everybody. If we stop pumping the petrol right now, that would be not even for a day, even for 24 hours, it would right. cause an eco- economic collapse. Right. So. Right. So we are currently in this situation with all of our business community clamoring to keep things just as they are. Amity world. We we live in <laughs> right, and now it's the world. It is Amity. Yeah, world. Yeah, it's the whole world. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they put a bounty out for this uh, th- this uh, shark, three thousand dollars. That's how much like a MacBook Pro costs. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, but it's a new car in seventy five. Maybe sure, yeah. sure. It's a Mustang. <laughs> you get a Mustang. <laughs> or a ZZ Top, like, greatest hits, so double we're, we're fast-forwarding to the town meeting <laughs> right, about right. what to do here. Oh, we're yeah. at the town meeting. We're, we're at, at the, the town, town meeting, right. and, yeah. and we just got their... to sh- – we basically just got to Shaw. Fiscal conservatism. We've, we got to the $3,000 bounty, and that's when he we're introduced to the famously best. scratches the chalkboard. Yeah. 
Great entrance. Which, by the way, and I'm, he's eating crackers. He's eating crackers the whole like time. Looks like he drew the sh- like I <laughs> I when I watched it last night, I was like, I think he must have been back there drawing that until he wanted to make his. You know, you just see him back there, like introduction, like getting the yeah. shading right. He's like, when you're on the open sea, you get a lot of time to work on your sketches using charcoal and Conti crayons. Sw- <laughs> swallow a hole. When I'm not singing songs about the Spanish ladies and swimming with bow-legged women, <laughs> I'm drawing pictures of sharks, tiger sharks, mako sharks, the thrashers. He um he has what I would call uh, instant credibility for some reason in so, this role. Well, it's for the reasons we talked about before. It's right. the voice, the look, the gravitas, the eyes. It's all of – it's who he is sitting in that chair. I'm pretty convinced that he did zero uh, hair and makeup and wardrobe work. <laughs> I think he just showed yeah. up. <laughs> I, but that was another thing, though. You look at all these – none of them are wearing a lot of – you know no. stuff. Yeah, they're on a, you know, and they're in the water all the time. And you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you said I looked like when you said I looked like <laughs> Dreyfus, like all that came to mind was just unkempt science, just curls, like unkempt science curls, and like, and like that. And then I looked at myself and I was like, it's it's getting this is I need to do something. But I found I a local barber shop. Just that's the first thing that pops in my. Obviously, yeah, this movie meant a lot to you. me, so it's like. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have like, a reference, shit. a touchdown. I mean, we've known each other since seventh grade for True. a long, long time. So True. I was just like, man, you look like Richard fucking Trent. Yeah, it was longer than you'd ever seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look good, though. Yeah, so Shaw comes in and immediate cred, totally. And all you know is, like, I, I just want to see this. I want to see this guy yeah. do anything, anything. And I'd he- watch him wake up and just watch. As, yeah, the Javier Bardem of the ocean. Totally. Right? As a savvy... <laughs> Businessman, he does not like the three thousand dollar price tag attached to this uh, no. ominous task. He goes, "I'll give you." You know, he's like, I'll, "I'll not. I'm not doing it for three or five. You know, this the shark will swallow you whole is what he says. Yeah. And then he goes, uh, basically, he's like, "I'll do it alone," which is great. Yeah, Cap- capitalist mentality. I want all of that money. Uh, I'll bring you the head, the tail, the whole damn thing for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> now we're talking, yeah, big boy money. Yeah, yeah. Him. And, and, and then we'll take that under advisement, I think, is what the mayor says. And then he walks out. Then Shaw walks out with his little Smee, like, following, which it never – he never gets that much attention. But Smee is there for, like, four or five scenes Walking his on. dog. He's walking the dog, right. And then he's also there lo- when they're loading – he, yeah, I, I'm I curious want the, the Shmi side story. Yeah, like yeah. What, what's going on? That guy is twice as old as Shaw is. Yeah, like, right. easily. He's so like a I tiny was a little... merchant marine in World War One. Yeah, like trenches, you know? a yeah. chantourage yeah. of one. I remember when the Lusitania sunk. <laughs> I bet he's a local. I bet he's some guy they found just because he was a local fisherman. Oh yeah, they I paid... think they did that with a lot of them. The extras were all paid sixty four dollars to run and scream on the beach. They told I read, yeah. I read that number, which is interesting. That's good yeah. money back then. That's a it weekend is. of uh, booze and uh, surf. When I was yeah. getting my SAG card, it was I, I got it, it, before you were in the union. You got around sixty or eighty <laughs> right. bucks a day. <laughs> oh, whenever I did extra work, I would just uh, hover by the craft service table, mm-hmm. just straight up snacking the whole time. Straight quality, trying to evade any of uh, the lunatic lifer 
uh, extras. Oh man, that that group is. Yeah, yeah. They are happy about certain things that I just can't find the kind of joy they've. They're found. just chain smoking and ta- and uh, using first names for all the actors that they've been around. <laughs> They're like, and then Bobby was on set. Oh, Bobby was great. Have you ever seen Al work? It's pretty good. Yeah. What's your rate now? They're so t- thrilled to, to be there. Oh, overtime. We getting overtime. <laughs> OT. Love it. Love my OT. <laughs> They all have that voice. Doesn't matter if it's a man or a That's woman. That's true. You know what you got to do, kids. You got to get yourself a. You got to get yourself a security guard uniform. Oh, they always need a security guard. Yeah, if you get a cop uniform, I I worked as a bailiff on Law and Order for two seasons. I got bumped up a couple of times. Yeah. yeah, they gave me a line here. There, you, line. the way to do it is, uh, yeah, you, you know, he's right. You got to have the uniform, but also it's it's in the <laughs> eyes. Like if you if you just know that you can do it, yeah. they'll give you a line. Give give yeah, sh- uh, 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 you got to focus your fuck me eyes <laughs> yeah. at whoever it is that's uh, whenever they the come to corral. The, yeah, yeah, you know, put when they pull you out of the pen, throw that character on. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Work on your we might know some face. of the same folks. <laughs> do, do, dare we talk about the uh, half-assed shark autopsy? Oh, ah, oh, love a half-assed. Uh, well, yeah, we're gonna get there. <laughs> well, we're, what we get first before that is that all these um, uh, weekend warriors show up. These mm. bounty hunters. Oh yeah, that's... they flood the island. Uh, there, there's a lot of very funny stuff that Spielberg does, and it's all intentional. I think he's got a great uh, sense of humor. It's or, it, it's very fun. The, the movie has a lot of funny moments, and uh, without it being a comedy, no. And what? But that's what I like is that he's able to use uh, comedy as a, a tool in his in his box. Mm-hmm. And there's the 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 bounty hunter that's got dynamite guy, yeah, who's just hanging out with live dynamite right on the uh, dock, <laughs> surrounded by people like a fucking idiot. <laughs> there's the yeah. Then there's the the the. the pack of seven or eight who are all just like ah, yeah we don't care about you yeah know, whatever you say and this is where hooper gets to be like the george costanza just wisecracking yeah on totally. the pier. you're all gonna die you know commenting on uh on sort of the the idiocy of these like middle america working class amity sailors yeah right. the non uh liberal elite east coasters <laughs> <laughs> right right again elite he's an elitist right. totally yeah, uh, Hooper would vote for uh, Elizabeth Warren. So um, <laughs> he looks like a Bernie guy. Well, no, you're that's right. what we. Ha- that's you know, but he but he doesn't like working class. He actually, stuff. kind of currently, I think looks a lot more like Bernie <laughs> too than he. You know what? <laughs> Good point. He might be. Uh, I think he would be a Michael Bloomberg guy, or maybe because a... because he's like, well, let the rich let solve the rich it. solve the problem, right? You know, so right. Hooper Hooper's a a Michael Bloomberg Democrat. We know this. That's what I, yes, <laughs> and <laughs> and this is it is known, Khaleesi. This is a fact. Uh, then we get to so they they capture a shark and uh, mm-hmm. and now Larry Vaughn, the mayor, is his mind's at ease and he's like, all right, business as usual, baby. Everyone's celebrating, having a good time, and this is when your girl, the uh, the pathetic mother, comes mm-hmm. back into the picture, dressed in black. Yeah. And she smacks our boy Brody across the face. It's a real smack, too. Yep. Real shark, real smack. Yeah. As a kid, this scene always tightened me up. You know, I got goosebumps. I was like, I never wanted to be castigated by a mother like that. No, and they let her go, which is like I realized as I was watching, like she gets a long time in front of him and she takes her time with it. 
Yeah, this is real acting. This is yeah. some Oscar stuff. This is this is you know I know Shaw's on the set. You know I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there and give it my best, and maybe he brings me back to England, puts me on stage <laughs> next to him, and all of a sudden like, yeah, you know I'm Shaw the- had that uh, Ace Ventura pet detective energy. You know he was like he was animated. He was out there. They put the Duracell battery in his back. Oh, with her, she's on some. Um, this scene is very I don't know like uh, it's it's. It's um this is sad movie speech. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's you know Schindler's list speech. Well, she lost her son to gross negligence. Uh, right. And, and no, the point is valid. It's it's I'm trying to think of it for, I was trying to put it into a, you know, what I what I appreciate a lot about this movie is the way the the slow moments are earned by the pacing of the rest of it. And yes. so um and and then how the sped up moments are earned as well to a degree um mm-hmm. because of how they're used and how he doesn't always, you know, cover it with music at this point in his career. He's not guiding us as much as letting us experience it in real time and scaring us and sometimes and and this moment slows it down and you need it to propel Brody to the depth that he needs to be to get him on the boat. Right. Um, because without it, you know, he still has all that he can put all the blame on everybody else. True. Pivotal but scene. He walks away from there going, no, it is. She's right. Yeah. And it's the mayor who tries to give him an out, but he's like, no. Well, the mayor, it's the mayor is actually the one directly responsible Obviously. for it. Right. right. Um, so they, they, they catch what they think, you know, the, the groups of, uh, Gloucester, Gloucestermen, the, the fishermen from the town, all go out, dynamite in hand, chumming water. Just Welcome a, to Worcester. A raucous crowd of Yeah, uh, just lines semen. being sort of lobbed in yeah. from different skiffs. Like, just, uh, it looks people like people are yelling at each other. They're for, throwing cherry bombs in the water. That one looks, guy's just tossing it over his shoulder, yeah. not even looking. You know, this reminded me of uh, in uh, Night of the Living Dead or in, uh, uh, I think it's Dawn of the Dead. The rednecks who love the zombie apocalypse happening, they all like care. They just start wearing weapons and they think it's like a day. It's like a day hunt. Like they're out hunting fox or deer. And uh, this is that on the water. Right. Exactly. So uh, and then but when the the mom says like, uh, you knew, you knew. I mean, this works for any lawmaker that doesn't go after. Uh, the companies we know are doing shitty things. It's like at the same time, it's like tobacco. Like you knew, well, you know, or uh, you big gonna... oil, or oxy, or Epstein, or Epstein, Weinstein. Yeah, I know you were going. To, I knew that. I knew you were going to Epstein. all the steens or crooked cops. <laughs> all the steens. You yeah. knew. You knew. You knew. Whatever. Not even all the steens, but those two and yeah. Frankenstein as well. Shabbat shalom, everybody. By yeah. the way, it is Saturday. And... I know, dude. I didn't. Yes. No, yes. I'm kidding. Th- just those two guys. <laughs> <laughs> but the oxy people, man. But also Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> We're on, the, on the real. Yeah. Or the Cokes, man. We know the Cokes are fucking monsters. You knew. You knew. NFL? Come on, man. CTE. We all know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but they give and, – and I love that. I love that part. It's like the most meandering NPR podcast of all time. <laughs> Just start yelling out keywords. Right. Boom. So uh, so then we go – we got this shark. Right. So they right? catch a tiger shark, which is you know a man-eater, not common in the waters, as, as they say. They couldn't even find the shark to kill in 
where they were filming, so they had it brought up from Florida, which is crazy because that's they find them really there, right? where. Okay. So the shark was decomposing, and while it was on that little lift, or you know that that the hook, hook basically, yeah. it was decomposing so badly from the trip that its guts were in the front of its body. So the, the smell was so overwhelming that people had trouble filming. Oh my god, <laughs> which is fucking disgusting. Um, right. I want. I want all the outtakes where they're all just like making gag. Everyone's just throwing up in the background. They're like, and you knew. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> So basically, uh, Hooper at this point, Dreyfus, Dry Hooper, is, uh, you know, not arguing, but obviously telling them that, you know, the, the measure of the bite radius is how yeah. scientists tell the size of a shark and why he thinks it could be. He's not ruling it out, but he's not uh, not convinced at all. He said one in a hundred, I think. Yeah, he did say the one chance. in a hundred chance that, that this would be the shark. Right. I mean, honestly, with those statistics, how do you even know that the other shark was the actual shark? Because there's lots of sharks in the ocean. Anyone Good could be point. responsible. But, you know, I digress. Saying that it's not there in those waters. This is back in the, in, in the science where, like, everyone at one point, in, you know, thought that great white sharks were located in Northern California, South Africa, and Australia. Mm-hmm. It's only now that we realize they're literally in every fucking yeah. major body of water on every coast. They well, follow without, without, migratory without, patterns. Correct. Right. And Brody says that thing that makes me, that I took as reality when he's like, I don't know how long sharks live, 2,000, 3,000 years, how long yeah. they've been with us. It's like, they're not dinosaurs. That? <laughs> oh, that's when he's sitting there. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Reading the big reading book, the book. Of shark facts. Right. He's like, nobody knows how long they even live. That's wild. <laughs> well, there was no science on them back then. Like, yeah, this, this inadvertently or indirectly led to a lot of really good research on sharks and like yeah. a lot of knowledge. Like eventually at first hated the fact that all of them were being hunted and killed after the movie because they were seen as villains, but it right. really led to like studying them. Yeah. And this led to me watching Shark Week with my dad every year since it came out. Like it led it, it oh, spawned man. a lot That's of That's what we should stuff. be talking about. How could they even get mad at the guy they wanted to direct this movie first when he kept saying whales, whales <laughs> instead of sharks when we didn't even know what a shark was. <laughs> Nobody knew. Yeah, well, the guy was probably just Moby Dicking it. <laughs> um, so, so that happens. No proof. Leads to one of my favorite lines in the film when the mayor's like, "You guys are talking about doing a half-assed, off like a half-assed autopsy on a fish." Yeah. So they want to cut the fish open. You want that little boy's body to spread like uh, oh, drop out all over kid, this kid duck. Sp- yeah, spills out onto the dock. Yeah. I'm not going to be here for that, which is a good point. No one wants to see that. No. So. <laughs> This leads to, by the way, just a, a sort of a, a little context here. Brody, deathly afraid of water. Uh, he has a clinical disorder, which he calls drowning. She's like, what's, what's your fear? What do they call it? He's like, drowning. What's, what's the name of that fear? Um, so does not like water. Obviously, they get drunk, have dinner together, want to go have the autopsy. This is how fucking stupid cops are, is that they <laughs> will take a job someplace where they're scared of the thing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you're going to be a cop, I'd rather not do it in uh, Times Square, Manhattan in 1975. There's the Brady cats of everything. It's like, why did you shoot that kid 57 times? Well, I was scared of him. Oh, burrito, the toddler? I thought it was a gun. <laughs> what else are you scared of? Water. <laughs> well, maybe don't be a lifeguard at Amity. <laughs> I got nothing on the defense of no. Brody in I any way. Like Go like move to a desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gabe, I'd like to watch this just with you. <laughs> you know, um, so they have the they perform the autopsy on the fish, which is him just slicing it and ho- open at the belly. 
stuff spills out. An undigested fish, a uh, you know the he labels a the tiger can. shark as the garbage can of the sea. Like yeah. Anything. There's a license plate from Louisiana, so shark was obviously traveling a good bit. Yeah. Uh, not the shark. No, no Kittner boy spills out. No, no but remains. I, you know, I that scene again for me, mm-hmm. it's it's Hooper's reaction. It's Dreyfus's face and body that make you feel how stinky and nasty it is and, and i was actually i had food for this movie i was eating a little bit here and there <laughs> and i knew i deliberately was like i i as as soon as it started i just put everything down couldn't look at the food at all and didn't go back to it i get you know until midnight <laughs> afterward or whatever. was it like an open face reuben no but it was a sando i had a sandwich sure and sure. it was soft at parts and i was like i don't <laughs> You know, this milky white, like, oozy. Like and it a, wasn't Chipo- even... a Chipotle mayo hug? <laughs> it wasn't even. It's his face. It's the same thing that happens when he, it's, it, he's reacting to something different. But when he first looks at the hand. Right. And he, and he, you know, he recoils. And he, like, slowly puts his ear, you know, those ear things of his glasses, the hooks behind. And then he's like, I have a glass of water. And everything's gotten intense. You're like, he could pass out at any moment. And that's he's like, at his most Woody Allenish. Yes, he's literally yes. struggling. But he, yeah, there's like there's there's urgency in what yeah. he's doing because he can't stay there very long. And True. those feelings are like what you know viscerally bring me into this movie so much. Yeah. It's it's all those reactions. No, it's a great point because that is that really does set the tone there. Like you Ooh. really feel like he is uncomfortable. It stinks. Ugh. Everything about it's gross. Yeah, it's it's also it's dark. They're doing it alone. Yeah. This the real tiger's not not caught. It, it's like I don't know. Yeah, it, all of it it's like just brings good. me into it. Yeah. So now he wants to go find the shark. Right. Right. That's right. They get into his uh his little Miami Vice speedboat with uh <laughs> radar all over it yeah, and like got... multiple cameras. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then and those like neon green floor lights that that eventually come on when he jumps in. Yeah, and and uh, and Brody's like, "Where'd you get all this stuff?" And he's like, "It's all mine. I have a. I'm independently wealthy." That's where we learn about my parents uh, manufactured bullets they used in Vietnam. So you know, because that's where you make that type of money. <laughs> and uh, who know who knows who knows where his money came from? But uh, uh, he uh, they go out. He goes swimming. At night, scuba diving. Yeah. Big scare for me, seeing that head float out of the bottom of the boat. Another just great technique from the filmmakers on yep. that one. And uh, they that, go, yeah. That head, uh-huh. Ben Gardner's head, you can see in a season of Walking Dead when they go to like one of the lead bad guys for whatever season it was. Huh. That head is in a jar. Callback. Yeah, callback. They actually use that specifically. I That's a long it. time between jokes. It really is. <laughs> it's like, you know. I saw the on that and real I loyal it. viewer. Yeah. That's that slow, slow burn. That's slow. <laughs> uh, you thought we forgot. I love the uh, when they the next scene because it is them arguing with the mayor. And, oh right. Uh, it's it's Hooper and Brody, and they're both y- yammering at the mayor. Oh, yeah. Simultaneously to try to get him to close the beaches. Right. And uh, you know, but the economics of uh, na- of our nationalism kick in because it's the Fourth of July. And there's no way that he's going to close the beaches on the 4th of July. And then we cut and see, uh, hilariously, the the big ship uh, bringing oh, in right. all the people. thousands and thousands of tourists. Yeah. And you're like, all of these are just sardines in the can. Yeah. You know, waiting to get munched on by our boy, <laughs> Jowls, Bruce, 
Oh, this is where uh, you're talking about the scene on the beach with the, 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 the big Amity sign in the background with the, now the shark fin and the help shark on the, on the, on the bather. That's right. Right. This is yeah. Where... And, uh, and they got to make the business people happy. And, and right. uh, Mayor Larry Vaughn is like, I don't care what you saw. I, uh, did you see where, where is the shark tooth that you thought you found in, in Ben Gardner's boat? I hate that he drops all of it. I really like when he drops the shark tooth and his mask and everything. I I just remember feeling like, man, that must suck for a marine biologist. Like you'd want that tooth. Yeah, he and needed it to prove the. the, the well, yeah, the key we learned later, tooth. but, but even tooth? in the moment, right when he's when he's swimming away, you're like, that's it's not a sh- it's a dead guy. Like yeah. once you realize, go back get the tooth. You know. Hooper to the bottom of the ocean, huh? He's yeah. he's a butterfingers man. Throughout the whole movie, he just yeah. can't hold on to anything. I don't have any spit. He's got city hands. He's got no spit. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'd be a terrible wide receiver. Oh, mm-hmm. he'd be a defensive back. And then he'd drop the interception, and people would be like, that's why he's not a wide receiver. <laughs> Carlos Rogers. <laughs> uh, uh, yep. So this leads to the, the, the second act. The final act, the second and final act of the movie. Cause I, I well, think you've is... skipped a death, I think, right? Isn't or no? You've skipped the, the uh, oh, you're right. The scare of in the in the pond. Well, that the was sca- a death. Yeah, there's the scare in the pond and the death that of the oh, uh, of the... the guy who's like rowing the boat in the pond. Oh, that's right. He dies. So and he loses a leg for sure. And this is when Brody realizes. That's, <laughs> that's true. We do see the leg at the bottom. Yeah, the leg is the only thing that isn't eaten. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it looks it looks like a healthy leg too. Yeah, he great a, cast. Oh, he's a he's a runner. Great musculature. Yeah, your boy likes wearing those uh, simple white canvas mm-hmm. sneaks. Boating so, shoes, so fashionable. Boaters, a nice pair Boaters. of black pants. Yeah, um, that's true, and that's when I think the, the the realization for everyone that this is an issue that needs to be well. That's the when beaches need to shut down. The mayor realizes that he's in shock. Right. The kids in shock. In They're shock. in the hospital, and the mayor has that quick flip to. I am. I'm sorry. Sh- I am also. Yeah. You know. And then me in mourning because my smoking kids... a cigarette in a hospital. Right. Oh, I love where all the cigarettes are. Laws. He says uh, my kids were on that beach too. Yes. And that was it. So this, you know, they got to shut it. Do the right thing. Do what you do best. Sign paperwork. You fucking bureaucrat. Yeah. And I love that he actually has to sign the paper, and we see it like a voucher so that they can yeah. pay. Right. Uh, Quint. Quint. Right. You know. Um, what a what a cool what a real uh, world detail. Yeah, that's it. That yeah. was so unnecessary, uh, you know, film wise, but absolutely necessary to make it just be- as believable as humanly possible. Like yeah, that, that's what it is. Brass, yeah, brass tacks. Yeah, know? but also having a prop. It's always there's actors love a prop, right? And to have him have to sign the thing kept him, you know, grounded to this thing. Right. It wasn't just like look at me because the guy couldn't mayor couldn't look at him. Because he knew that he was the one pushing the whole time. But I think that, that he doesn't even look at the paper when he signs it. He's just—it's just a scribble. See, honestly, I didn't even think about it. But now looking back, that makes this uh, a more political movie than one would ever think. Of. Like you, you do see the politics throughout the entire film. But yes, like, something as simple as him actually physically signing the paper—that's such a good point. Hmm. Yeah. There we go. Layers. Because like, I hate like the ma- I hate this mayor when he uh, the moment when he tries to he convinces. The, that like grandma and grandpa to take their uh, oh. kids into the water. Why aren't you in the water? Yeah. Why aren't you in the water? It, it's so mean. It's mean. To, he's just mean. I, <laughs> I, I never like. Yeah. This this mayor had nothing good about him to me. He's just trying to make Amity great again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, uh, yeah, man. But he he's willing to sacrifice people and uh, for for a fucking paycheck. <laughs> 
and then you see them get trampled. Oh, it's the best. Sound familiar? Yeah. And these, uh, yeah, yeah. Also, I don't know if Spielberg uh, shows disdain for people like the masses Mm -hmm. and the mob, Mm -hmm. but I feel disdain for all of these these tourists. I think of them as sort of like ignorant fodder. Right. You know, every time I see them on screen, I'm like, look at these fucking dummies. They're yeah. But it's not their fault. Like, there's no, you know, there's no one telling them what they should be doing. Yeah. But well, the that, fact that they have to be guided. That's is... so they are hurt. They're the herd, and the the conversation in the film is how do we protect the herd? Right. It's all about different strategies for protecting the herd. Good shepherds. Yeah. Either we we either have to let them. You know, they can't go near the dangerous stuff. Or no, it's more important to the herd that we allow that we pretend that everything's okay because the herd's emotional feelings is what we need to take care of. And clearly, the shark <laughs> is much more dangerous than some. You know, damn it, we have to play on the sand and not in the water. You know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, this is but so we get to the second part of the film because now. Now we know that there's a clear and present danger. It's irrefutable. Mm-hmm. And we get our boys on the boat. Boys on the boat, in act sc- two. In screenwriting, they call this the midway pivot. Oh, my God. I love it. Oh, I could watch these three dudes hang out on a boat for hours. It could have just been that. And, uh, you know, they could whatever. They could have started their own podcast on the boat. <laughs> I just want to hear them talk and swap sea stories. Spanish ladies podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, that I mean, that is a great podcast idea is just have three people who are in character being these three dudes. Yeah. And then <laughs> dealing with whatever the topic of the, conver- yeah, of the yeah. day is. Oh, let me tell you about when I was policing in the Bronx. Whip your leg out onto the table. It's like, this yeah. is a podcast, man. We don't need to see your scar. Yeah, well, well, I was off the coast of Tahiti and uh, <laughs> met a nice lady there. Like, who knows? These guys are just having a good time. Totally. On the boat, uh, it's great details all over this. Um, there's, like, the scene where they're fishing with the reel, and uh, the reel starts getting hot from Love how that. fast it's moving. And the fact that they just pour a cup of water on it to cool it down. Love that. So great! I, I always remember that, but when and when, yeah, each time it comes up. And first of all, I, I want to say about that line. Um, that that line never like. I watched it again, and I like I've said I've seen it, but I was thinking about like, if we think this shark is as big and powerful as it has proven, does this shark hunter really believe that this fishing line? would in any way do anything to help. Like, it feels <laughs> totally mythical that, that that this big bad shark hunter would be like, yeah, we're going to catch the kind of shark that you're talking about with this, even though it's in that, you know, he's got a seatbelt on or, a, you know, right. harness. He's got, the, he's got the lazy boy. Yeah, well, and he's got he... that cool little metal, like, you know, stand that he moves the pole into so he can right. shift with it. But you're like, it's a little fucking wire, dude. But they have made lines that can actually catch great white sharks. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, science-wise, I bet that it's true. It just felt but, un Right. No, no, it looks, ri- it looks ridiculous. To me, easy. yeah. But also, at that exact moment, he was operating blindly on size. He had no idea that's true. the scope of the animal until he actually saw it when no, know, that's they true. see that, you know, how you can tell the, 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 the From the dorsal, the dorsal to, to the, the back. Tip. Yeah, to yeah. the tip. 
uh, he saw it at one point and and you know Quint was like, "Was that twenty or not?" Uh, Cooper was like, "Was that twenty feet?" He said, "25." Yeah, twenty-five. Yeah. So first of all, that shark is demo- like it, it's ridiculously large. It is when you see it against the cage, it's like <laughs> that's forty feet. That's one of my. Uh, that's one of mine. But we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So he's starting to get his. Uh, you know, they're starting to figure out what this thing is. Right. Um, and and we're getting the beef. The the like. Well, actually, that starts when they're tying knots in the store. But I was just saying, like, um, a, oh, the, a little bit of the beef kind of gets the turned up nature. when Hooper's, like, standing up at the wheel, and he's like, it's not a shark. And, That's right. You know, oh, he's right. starting to, to call out this guy for being like, dude, you don't know what you're doing. I'm the, you know, it's not a shark. And then it's bitten through the line. Right. And uh, Brody, there's that, yeah, the, the dynamics between the three of them in this it is it is almost like a good improv scene where if you choo- if every actor chooses very specific uh character choices and then just them playing off each other and their own natural personalities like uh the the friction from that um those dynamics in this are great because we've got Quint is the seaman mm-hmm. who knows what he's doing on this boat and Brody is his apprentice for this. Yep. And Quint is treating Brody like in a good, like almost in a paternal, sure. fatherly way, being like, "It's okay, Mister Brody. Like, I'll show you how to." Now stand behind me. Stand yeah. behind yeah. me. Yeah. Like, you know, right. he's doing. He he. And then and then Brody is just like, well, he believes in authority and calling things in, and he's like, well, can I? How about we just call for a bigger boat? <laughs> right. You know, like a punk ass bitch cop. <laughs> Calling for backup. Meanwhile, scared. The shook. most iconic line of the entire film. Yeah, which was uh, completely improvised, by the way. You know, as a lot of them are. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's another one of the face tells you. Like, he just backs in, and you see that face with the eyes. And that was the first real, real shot we got of the shark. The longest at that point. That was the first. Um, from the you know top kind of full the, the point full of view shot yeah yeah of the shark because I thought the coolest shot of the shark was the one where he bit the guy's leg off and you see half of it because it actually looked the most real because it was sort of submerged and you couldn't tell how ridiculous it oh well, you mean in the pond in the pond right correct. yeah yeah you saw how big it was yes. and that was actually because it kind of looked like a great white look like it it did it looked more real right but that was the first time you actually saw. The fact that it had a mouth the size of like a Ford pickup truck, dude. The mouth is enormous, and it's just gnawing on things. Just blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. yeah, this oh. mindless killing machine, an evolutionary uh, anomaly. Yeah, um, uh, and this happened when he's like throwing chum in the water. He's chum in the water. Another really great detail for me. So gross to have a big bucket of fish chunks, bloody fish chunks. And yeah. they've also realized that that's the worst weight. Like, chumming was actually used when people used to go shark cage diving 25 years ago. They would use it to attract the sharks. Right. But then you're making a link between the shark, humans, and food. Right. So it oh. tries to associate you with it's just a bad idea to really <laughs> fuck with people's uh, eating habits. That way. <laughs> um, right. It's like when you feed a crocodile in a spot, it'll just stay in that spot forever. Right. Oh, Poor guy. <laughs> or gal. Or in between. Right. Mm-hmm. So that now... Everyone realizes what they're up against. That's right. They're going to need a bigger boat. They're going to need a bigger boat. This could be like a magnum condom co- ad mm-hmm. phrase. You're going to need a smaller cock. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what? Uh, what yes, yeah, so it's it's just great. I love all the time that they're on this boat, man. Yep. Uh, and the details of the boat. It, I forgot how small it is. It it's really tiny. is small. Yeah. But it uh, because w- at watching this as a kid, it just it felt so big. 
Yeah. Oh, it, did, it really did. You're right. Yeah. Well, they use it really well. I love when they're. I love the way they use the side of the boat. It's not something that I. I don't know a lot about boats, and I don't particularly like watch a lot of boating film or television or anything. <laughs> but like the, the I love the sh- the low shots of just their feet when they're oh that's the best skimmering along the sides. Love it. You know whether or not it's like. And I love uh, the little slip too because you see that yeah. little slip and you're like that you're that close to being yeah, fucking yeah. food, it, dude. It's just it heightens the drama of Absolutely. the of the of the confinement that they're dealing with in the fight that they're you know how, facing. How that tiny little boat is separating you from the jaws of a a, a, a monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it come. Well, go ahead. No, no, please. I was just gonna like. I, I don't know if you were moving through at a slower pace, but I um, when the boat starts to get when, when the shark starts yanking the boat in different directions, you're like, that's when you realize how small it really is. Absolutely. I mean, that's when it really becomes apparent that like that's the only thing keeping you from. That's death. it. Yeah. yeah. It's this little tiny. And Orca. you know, we know they have bigger boats. There are bigger boats. Like I would have gone back immediately. See, yeah, like it's like not even like can't you get a boat with a cannon on it? Yeah, yeah. or like or lots or of like, like right, right. Just I would have called the Coast Guard in seconds. I'd be like, hey, bring bring the biggest one you got and lots of guns. Now that that part, <laughs> all the guns, the smashing of the CB. What did that? How did that? So this is actually fast forwarding. Yeah, a little I'm bit. sorry. I should. We should. Well, we're we're running on time, so we can just speed through this. Boat yeah, stuff. because we didn't do the we didn't do the. the well, we need to talk about Indianapolis. Night. That's right. Right. That, right. That's like that's the. So that's, they're starting to bond a little bit. There's some animosity between Quentin and Hooper, but now they're realizing they're in a death roll with each other. Right. And this shark and Brody is. I realize this about this film now. I realize Brody's place. Had he not been on that boat. Quinn would have killed Hooper and yeah. used him as bait to kill the shark. Yeah. <laughs> thousand percent. Totally. Quinn would have been over in an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. He, okay. Yeah. That's, that's where I took He's away from this conversation. He's a guardrail. He is. One thousand percent. He would have taken that machete and chopped him into pieces. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We don't even like – tie a knot. Tie it again. And you turn know around, they, you turn know, around this time. You know how you get those <laughs> like cans those cans on the back of a just married uh, car? Just slug and narragansett. You just it. create a, a string of Hooper chunks. Right. <laughs> It's like uh, a aqua- op- open open water aquatic murder, like, uh, walking style. That wasn't good. And uh, and uh, but th- th- when they're downstairs, this is a beautiful scene. This uh, the speech. I will right? say my favorite scene in movie history. Uh, the scar wow. measuring yeah. contest. Yeah, your favorite scene in movie. I would say it's my favorite dialogue delivered, because you know how much I like sharks, shark related topics. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this would be this would be it. Starts off. I mean, they're bonding. Yeah. Right. Yeah, having this... some drinks, Narragansett, slugging Narragansetts and whiskey out yeah. of coffee cups. Just is there any other way? Every beat of this uh, speech is good, you know, it, and it's just boys becoming friends, man. Yeah, this is how we become friends. We Bonding. show each other scars. Yeah, we're tough. Yeah. What are your wounds? I do love the uh, shot when they're showing other all the other battle wounds, and you see fucking you know Brody in the he's back looking at, looking at his ap- ap- appendectomy yeah, scar. He's decides looking, not and he's to like, show it. Yeah, I can't do this. He didn't even cop. get shot in the line of duty. No. Uh oh. I, I hate to even open Tell doors escape. for Gabe Tell, right now. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I've said enough to get in trouble. <laughs> this no. is not a blue Blue Lives Matter podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, so they're you know getting into it, and then Brody asks about a certain uh, of Quinn's. What's that? So he asks about a, a arm. scar he had on his arm. No, I'm saying he says what's. Yeah, that? what's that? Sorry, <laughs> Jordan didn't watch. Uh, he's uh, it was a tattoo. You know, or whatever. Yeah, he says it was a tattoo I had removed. 
Right. He goes, what was it? And he goes, he goes, let me guess. Dreyfus goes, let me guess. Mother. Yeah. For the, for the name and of he's that dying laughing. And then yeah, that's where Quinn turns, right? Right. Well, just, you know, the, 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 the gravity of what he went through it hits him like a ton of bricks and his emotion shifts. Everything shifts. Uh, he goes, nah, it's the USS Indianapolis. So immediately, Brody has no idea. Hooper knows exactly yes. what he's talking about. This is a real historical event that happened, in, in my opinion. Such a better history lesson than any Ken Burns documentary about World War Two. You mean from someone that's actually been there and yes. suffered? Right. Yeah. No fiddles playing in the background. Right. Yeah, we don't need the fiddles. I don't no. need a letter home to your mom. <laughs> Give me a removed tattoo. Give me a removed tattoo and the story behind that. Yeah. So the, the story behind the Indianapolis, uh, the USS Indianapolis, which he goes into, and I, will, I don't want to paraphrase this fantastic dialogue. It, it just, it's a history lesson. World War Two. This USS Indianapolis was a cruiser, a battleship, I think, uh, sent to deliver the payload to an island off of the south, Southeast Asia, somewhere in the Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, the payload, the, the, the Hiroshima bomb that ended, effectively ended World War II. Mm-hmm. So they drop it off. The mission was so secret, nobody knew about it. As they're coming back, uh, they get hit by a Japanese submarine, two torpedoes. Ship has 1,300 people on it. 1,100 survived the actual initial sinking. The ship went down in 12 minutes. 1,100 men went in the water with life vests. Uh, you know. Like 300 and something came out. Yeah. yeah. The rest, you know, died of shark attack uh, or drinking salt water and, and going crazy, losing their minds. But shark was, you know, what the yeah, film I mean, focused on, right? Right. But Which you're I, saying you did you, – you read about this and this I is I read all... about it years ago and then I watched interviews recently before we did this podcast yeah. of Survivors – it's, it's it's a rough watch to see an eighty five year old man cry three different times when talking about it. They asked this one guy like, "What you know? Talk about the death. Like, what was the causes?" He goes, "One sharks, shark sharks." He said it three times as a nervous tick. Right. He didn't even mean to say it like that. Right. But it was sharks were you know. Think about the worst ways to die, and I can honestly say that I think that might be the worst way to go. Well, the waiting, the and waiting, and it just would the, be the, you're so defenseless and abject. You're floating yeah. And mm-hmm. hearing high pitched and it's like you know looking twenty yards in one direction and just seeing. Yourself, uh, your friend get torn apart. Yeah, it's like you're you're just like a piece of dim sum on one of those big trays that's rolling through the big uh, restaurant, yeah. and then the sharks are like, that "I one. want that one," or just like randomly picking you. Um, and, and I love that he's talking about how awful it was. He, you know, the pounding and the hollering and the black like a doll's eyes. The entire every bit of that dialogue, whether it was written, whether he improvised, it was just so perfectly descriptive. And yeah, delivered so well that just his demeanor shift was incredible. It's a monologue of monologue, correct? Perfect. Dialogue. No, but either way, it's it's we believe him because he believes it. Exactly, it's the actor reliving something. Not a lot of people can pull that off. That's right. No, and it helps too that probably um, that they've been drinking, and if it's true, he's probably been drinking. Robert Shaw's probably been a thousand drinking. percent. He was, yeah. And <laughs> you can, but. The stillness of it and and what makes us one of the things just sort of like technically about it, there's a gleam in his eye the whole time. Yeah. So we believe that he's actually remembering something. It's not like, oh, I have to tell you about this old time and I'm trying to say it a certain way. Yeah. It's him reliving it and us getting to watch that. And that's what makes it. Yeah. And I also think the best line, not the best line, but the, the one of the cooler parts of that speech was. He talks about the mission being so secret that no distress signal was sent out. Yeah, and after man. four days of them going through this, he runs into his buddy, who's a baseball player from right. Cleveland, who was 
sawed in half by sharks. He talks about the, the, the scariest moment was when they were – during the rescue, the PBY yeah. comes down to pick people up. He goes, that was when I was the most afraid. Waiting, Waiting for Waiting for line. my turn. Right. Because that's got to be like you're so close to getting out. Oh, yeah. And then you just have to sit there oh, and my God. hope to God mm-hmm. nothing comes after you. Yeah, that's like the whole last scene of Carlito's way. You just want to get out. Be a, you, don't, you don't want that, that Benny Blanco shark to uh... – Yeah, to come get you. That's <laughs> right before. Even if you've been rehabilitated, reassimilated, <laughs> yeah. reinvigorated. That's right. Um, so, yeah, that, that dialogue. And then the shark uh, you know, decides to play on their fear and re- reintroduce himself and smashes into the boat. Sure. Where everything starts to fall apart. And it's all because water. they started singing. Yeah, the sharks are attracted to classic seaman uh, uh, hymns. Yeah. Hymnals. They can't get enough. So, you know, if I'm ever at sea hunting sharks, you won't hear me talking about bow-legged ladies. What I want you to take away from this movie is that sharks are attracted to uh, synchronized uh, quartets. They're all like, show me the way to go home. And the shark's like, do you you. know the muffin man, the muffin man, Um, the muffin man. So that's, yeah, that's, and then that leads to, I think, the fakest of moments of the shark, which is the... The only time when it feels fake to me, and that's why I asked this earlier, but most of the time it doesn't. Um, the only time is right. It gets over the back yeah. of the thing, and it's like kind of twists to the side, right. and then it's just gnawing it's, mindlessly. Yeah, it's gnawing. Like you're like okay, <laughs> like Pac Man. Yeah, did it, it did it malfunction a little right here? Like oh, something. Yeah, it never worked. Which which. But other than that, honestly, I got to say, I really – it does not stand in the way of me enjoying the movie and thinking that it's yeah, actually it's, a real It's shark. crazy. It's that one moment, though, where I'm like, okay. Yeah. So they send Sh- uh, Dreyfus Hooper down into the cage to try to stick it with this 20 cc's of whatever the fuck kills Strike giant. Right. Yeah. And then in that scene in the book, he actually gets eaten. He doesn't make it. Nobody okay. makes it besides Brody. Okay. So he gets – he drops – again, drops the fucking thing, like you said before, butterfinger yeah. of, of – Yeah, I'm also wondering – I get why he puts his arms outside. I, I didn't really. But, but like I, I can understand the justification of feeling sure. like you, you need leverage because right. you don't know if it's going to come right up. Uh-huh. Which, by the way, I just I, – I, this scene is – my uh, it's probably my favorite um the cage the scene? cage scene interesting so they use the I, real footage of sharks by the way that rodney fox collected because you can actually see the real sharks. you mean from far away correct right and like a that's a real shots. okay yeah there's oh, a few real yeah, ones yeah, yeah. But not when it actually attacks the cage, right. obviously when right it's the size of a fucking school bus yeah and and but i loved that because that i also love that there's no talking there's no there's very little there's no music until he hits right and then there's probably a few – it's like just a few kind of, you know, excuse me, orchestral-like peaks of when it's coming after him. But I like that kind of stuff without music and that you're underwater and it's basically just shapes. Right. Um, underwater, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, yeah it's dark. You want to hear – there's nothing scarier than being submerged and hearing nothing. And, and the size that you keep talking about because right. you do see it now relative to the human. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, yeah. but it's also like – Yo, it, this thing has been killing, you know, it could be as big as you want. It, it, I will believe as big as you make it, basically. Sure. Um, and, yeah, the, the the putting the arm outside the cage was kind of – because you could still stab it clearly through the yeah, cage. I would have been cr- uh, curled up in a little fetal ball. Also, there's no way out. I'm putting limbs outside of the no. cage at all. Like, I mean, that would be the least – I'd want to protect the limbs – by keeping them in the cage. Right. And the water's pretty shallow because Hooper gets out of the cage and, and he's swims. immediately at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, it's like a 30 yeah. to 30 foot drop. Not not too bad. Yeah. Sure. He right. could have found that. 
Well, I thought he was going to go back. I, I even I've seen it, and the last night I was like, "Oh, this is when he swims out and grabs it again." And then I'm like, "No, nah, no, nah, he, he just hides. He just hides." Like which, a little bitch. Yeah, yeah. Love to see you in that situation. So they got <laughs> like all my underwater training. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't just a silent signal for how much time we have left, guys. That was not what just he was giving happened. me five minutes to live. <laughs> um, Sandwiches in five. Yeah. <laughs> Your uh, oxygen tank is almost out of air. So, so. basically, yeah. And then this, the scene where you know after the boat starts to sink, shark comes up, knocks the boat, breaks the boat. Yeah, Quinn, which is basically like the final destination movie of shark deaths because like he literally escaped death from sharks forty years earlier. Uh, the Quinn death is another favorite of mine. Yeah, the 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 chomp down in half. You're like, because that's to me that is the like picture of fear of shark attack for humans. Right, it's the half chomp. It's the <laughs> chomp in half moment. Like I don't think when when. Humans think about like, oh, a shark's going to attack me. I don't think they're thinking about like nuanced bites in different parts. I think they're thinking body in half, fully severed, you know, that's yeah. it. And for him to go that way, straight down the belly of the – into the belly right. of the beast, blood spurting out of his mouth. Could it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, that, that death Horrifying. is horrifyingly brilliant. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you hate to see it, man. I was sad, sad for Quinn. So R.I.P. to a real one. Right. I didn't want him to die. Totally, he, he was the he was the hero of the movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> so the ship is actually sinking. Seconds later, it comes after Brody with chunks of Quinn still in its mouth. Mm. I love that in the teeth. Totally bad flossing technique. And he's just stabbing the mess out of him yeah. as much as he can. It's not doing anything. But foreshadowing from an hour and a half earlier when they're talking about the compression tank, they, they good setup. The CO2 tanks. Yep. He get able to shove it, get it off. Yeah. Ultimately climbs the little tower while the boat's sinking with a luckily like an M one Garand. It also it's gorgeous when you go back when you see that as yeah. the boat's sinking. Yeah. It's the, great. And and the mast now becomes its own, you know, scaffolding for yeah. him. And it's just beautiful the way it's shot. Everything about it. Yeah. In that sniper pose kinda or like in that down in the trenches pose. You get so many great there were shots of actual shooting stars that were not oh, added I, in. Those were real shooting stars. I saw stars. It. Yeah, yeah, it's I crazy. Uh, so, long story short, shoots the tank in the shark's mouth. Smile, you son of a bitch. Blows up the shark. After the shark blows up, we see its corpse float to the bottom of the ocean floor with a score that uh, is echoed later in um, Goonies. It's a beautiful piece of music that gives you a moment to sympathize with this shark and see its majesty as an elemental force that's been conquered by man. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, we ran out of memory on my card uh, during this second portion of uh, our interview with uh, Jordan Ryder, and uh, that's just something that happens sometimes when you run a guerrilla podcasting operation out of your apartment. So unfortunately, that's the end of this review for Jaws, but you've gotten more than two hours of content. And uh, all three of us here, Jordan Ryder, Sammy Hamarne, and I, Gabe Pacheco, gave this movie a uh, 10 shark tooth necklaces out of 10. So it's an excellent film, and I hope you enjoyed us talking about it. Uh, tune in next week for another episode of Eat, Pray, Judge, and a new guest. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we love written reviews, and we will read them on the air if you leave us one. 
So thank you very much, and you can find me at GabePacheco.com. We love you. Goodbye.